Kat. And I'm Kurt, and you're listening to Cat and Kurt's TV Review. Welcome to episode 147, A Man Takes Responsibility for His Actions. This week we're discussing season 5, episode 22 of Buffy, The Gift, and season 1, episode 2 of Battlestar Galactica, Water. As always, we suggest you watch the episodes before you listen to the podcast. Also, if you haven't done so already, you may want to listen to our first podcast to get an idea of our methodology. All right. <sighs> we come to the end of season five of wow. Buffy. Wow, we've been doing this for a long time. <laughs> and yeah. yeah. Um, Quite the, the big, episode. The big culminating moment of the season and uh, a pretty big culminating moment just in general so far. Yeah. Um, and even, I, you have a couple production notes to go over, but I just wanted to mention, I don't know that you see this because I think I tend to watch things on Netflix, whereas you tend to watch them on the DVD, but um, I don't think you always get the little like previously on section things, but for this one, no. um, it goes over the entire series so far. <laughs> so it starts with like, Episode one, <laughs> really? of like oh, wow. the characters introducing themselves, and then as it goes on and on, it gets faster and faster and faster and faster until you sort of like break into the hallway or like the corridor, and you're doing like the alleyway, that kind of zoom shot that it sort of starts with. Um, hmm. So it, it definitely gives you that sense of okay, everything you've seen up to now has been leading to this moment. You know, not just yeah. the season, but like. The whole show so far um hmm, so that's interesting uh which i think is relevant for the production stuff you wanted to go over because that seems to have been very much what they wanted to sort of get across i think yeah no that's that's really interesting because um i wasn't i wasn't aware of um that intro piece and and yeah so okay so a few things first of all this is the hundredth episode of buffy yeah. so um, very significant there. And, um, you know, I don't know how intentionally they made it so that it would land on a season finale as well. Um, yeah. like I, I don't, I don't feel like way back in season one, they were like, okay, let's only do this many episodes now so that yeah. we can in five seasons, <laughs> you know, have it land on a season finale or whatever. But, and I also feel like that's kind of unusual. Like when I think of the other hundredth episodes that I know off the top of my head, they're usually not finales. So it's not like a kind of thing sure. of, oh, that's the way it always sort of works right. out with the math or something. Like, right. that's actually not very common, I don't think. Yeah. So. Um, so so that's sort of interesting. It aired on May 22nd, uh, 2001. Um, and that, I mean, that dates, uh, I mean, there's nothing particular about a date except for the fact that at this point, um, the people, the fans who watch the show and, and obviously the showrunners and everyone um, already knew about the impending move of mm -hmm. uh, the show to a new um, station, to a new uh, channel. Um, and uh, so between, so starting with ser uh, series, I almost said, season, <laughs> Uh, six, you're going to have Buffy airing on the UPN. And that was actually announced a month before, on April 21st, mm -hmm. um, before this episode. Um, 
and at the time at the time of the announcement nobody knew whether angel was also moving either uh wb hadn't yet renewed angel for another season and upn had already sort of promised that if the wb doesn't renew angel it would pick up angel as well so there was mm-hmm. sort of there was sort of this weird um not not really knowing like sort of limbo mm-hmm. aspect um to to the show of what was going on and then um sort of on top of that uh even before that announcement was made in april sarah michelle geller sort of people knew that the wb and upn were you know sort of negotiating with fox you know separately with fox that um you know each one wanted to take show fox would have you know wanted the wb to keep the show Mm -hmm. but the wb felt that at this point the ratings were um were going down and that it it would never sort of reach the levels of ratings that it had in like the third season and maybe Mm -hmm. even the early fourth season Mm -hmm. um and so that uh you know the wb just wasn't willing to pay as much money as fox thought it was worth and and that upn apparently thought it was worth as well um so uh yeah, UPN picked up the show and um, there was all this sort of like rumblings and stuff. So um, even before the announcement was actually made, Sarah Michelle Geller had actually said that if the series moved networks, she was going to quit the show, which <laughs> which is interesting because it's like, well, if she quits the show, then how can this series move at all? Buffy, because yeah, like yeah. <laughs> she's sort of the heart of it. But um, she retracted that. And, and like, again, that all happened before this. But there was still sort of, so there was this whole like, not not real sure what was going on um the upn actually ended up also picking up roswell from uh the wb and the two shows ended up being promoted and we can talk about that um maybe a little more um Mm -hmm. later in in sort of our recaps and even you know beginning of season six but um they sort of had this whole like they, they were doing this whole like new demographic thing with um so the wb was sort of had programming that was apparently more targeted towards like teenage girls and younger women. Mm-hmm. Uh, whereas um, uh, UPN was more, you know, teenage boys and younger men. Mm-hmm. Um, so they were, they were trying to do some sort of like building up and expanding their right. audience kind of right. thing. Um, but I, I found this one interesting of from salon um, sort of interesting uh, review because uh, it talks about sort of the immediate effects of the episode um, and sort of the knowledge that people had at the time. And so uh, it says the, pre- the presumed death of Buffy sent fans into a panic immediately after the episode aired message boards on Buffy chat sites started filling up with expressions of pain and anger, a rumor that the show's move from the WB to UPN next season was all a hoax and that the series was in fact over spread throughout the internet Um and um, so, interestingly enough, that that brings in uh, the the beginning that you were just talking about of mm-hmm. you know that previously on because uh, apparently the WB actually called it the series finale, like th- they were promoting this as a series finale, um, not just the season finale. And yeah. and I can't help but think that that was sort of spiteful. Yeah, at, that's at, what I'm thinking at, too. At, at this point, they knew. Yeah. that it was moving um well it dies when it leaves our network that kind yeah, of attitude right, of like this right. is you know effectively the death of the show or whatever yeah, yeah. Um, um and so 
and, and and so there were you know there were sort of some elaborate fan theories that this was all a hoax and and that there was no move that the series actually was over and isn't it just like Joss Whedon do this kind of thing you know which it kind of is um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah uh, it's the kind of thing that he would do yeah um, um, but 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 Joss sort of very quickly came on to those words and, and and you know Joss at the time and and throughout a number of his shows has been very sort of uh in the moment and and he would go just on sort of the fan boards and type mm-hmm. out his own messages and stuff and and he came out he, he confirmed he said buffy will be back sarah michelle geller will be there mm-hmm. um it, you know it'll be tuesdays at eight o'clock on on upn which is the same time slot i believe uh, i might have to v- verify that before our, uh you know season six starts but i believe that's the same time slot that it that it mm-hmm. had um so it would still be you know the hour before angel aired it would just be on a different channel mm. um and then of course he says you know we'll we'll bring buffy back how will we do it we don't know there'll be pain there'll be confusion you know as as is sort of par for the course um yeah. but um i want yeah i want to talk about that a little bit just because like i feel like this is one of those episodes where sort of the cultural you know, fandom and and stuff is really sort of important for understanding the episode yeah. itself, even because there were a lot of people who who were wondering, like, is this it? Like, does Buffy the series end with Buffy dying? And that's kind of the implication here, right? Like that that this is the ultimate sacrifice, and um, you know, we know that. We learn that it's not, and that, and fans learn very quickly, straight from Joss's mouth, that you know that's not the case, and that she will be back. But, but it yeah. does, it does sort of color your view of watching the episode. I think to sort of know sure. all that and and have an idea of sort of that confusion that was going on. Um, yeah. So, so here's a question. I don't know if you know the answer to, but I know you've read some like critical biographies of Whedon and stuff like that, so you might know the answer. Um, like, so I understand that by the time it aired, this had been decided and they were, you know, maybe the, you know, WB kind of was being a little bit, you know, uh, annoying about the way they announced it. I but think like I these, see where pl- you're going with These this plans question. were in place. My question is, and we're getting into critfic here, so maybe we don't care, but just out of curiosity, I wonder to what extent the future of the show was up in the air for the creators as well. And whether this was ever potentially in, in Whedon's mind as a series finale. Um, Cause that's very interesting to know, like, cause that does kind of, that does kind of color your, you know, your view of it. You know, I could see if, if whether in, whether by Joss's intention or whether because of, you know, accidents with contracting if this had for some reason been the end of the show period yeah i'm not saying it's a a great ending or the best possible ending or whatever but like i don't know that this would be an inappropriate ending you know there is that sense of like we've had from sort of day one this you know it's 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 a sad message but we've had this kind of continued idea of the slayers who die young, you know, and who, you know, Buffy has been the exception to this rule because of, I think, the community that she's had around her. But there is that sense of the show could end up with that thing catching up with her of getting to, you know, the point where 
even for Buffy, that's true. Yeah. Um, you know, and I don't know that that's, it's not totally without hope because it's a decision that she makes and it's self-sacrificial. It's not like she gets killed by a vampire or something, but still, you know. Yeah. And um, there's also her message to Dawn of, you know, live, continue living, continue loving and continue being together. Um, yeah, no, I, I, I don't know. I don't know that specifically. Um, I know that the negotiations between Fox and the WB and Fox and UPN went on for some time. Mm-hmm. I mean, it would be hard for me to believe that we didn't and the other writers and creators weren't aware of that. Mm-hmm. What I don't know is if, if that was going on like far enough in advance to affect like the beginning of the season, because mm-hmm. one of the things that I think we'll need to talk about not next week, but the week after in sort of the mm-hmm. season recap and maybe a little bit in, in this episode too, is how much of, how much of the season was played out. You know, you mm-hmm. get, you know, you get not just um, references to, well, one, you have death is my gift. Like, mm-hmm. I feel like from the moment that is uttered, like, we have to know where this is heading. Yeah. 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 Well, the right. Not we, the audience. The, yeah. Yeah. The, yeah. The, yeah. Right. Like, like I have no doubt that Joss knew what that meant yeah. when he uttered it. And it meant yes. that Buffy had to die. Yeah. Um, even if, you know, we might be guessing as viewers. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then you also get things like the Dagon Sphere, which, you know, is, is brought up in the first episode where we see glory for the first time which isn't you know as early in the season maybe um i mean it's a pretty early in the season but it's not like the first episode is dracula right so it's not like whatever but you know it's early on in the season and then you get you know uh the troll hammer from triangle and you get the buffy bot and this and that so like you have these things sort of sprinkled throughout the season that now okay you could say maybe those are sort of Russell Davies-esque rings mm-hmm. that the doctor picks up and he just has, he figures out a use for it later kind of thing. Right. I'll put but, this here and see if I can find some way to work it in. Yeah. But I feel like the way that we've seen Joss working, you know, especially past like the first and even second season that you, you know, the point is of the full season arcs. So I feel like even, even if there were negotiations going on between Fox and the WB like in order for them to have affected the main thrust of the story, mm-hmm. it would have had to have they, those negotiations would have had to have been having you like know years in like advance like a, at, at yeah. least at least a year or even a year and a half in advance yeah, yeah. you know because like don't they like they would have had to start filming in the summer like the previous right. summer right well and probably writing you know maybe yeah whatever six months before that or right. something so right yeah. like well like once the once the finale you know was done mm-hmm. from the previous season so yeah. um like done filming i mean not aired yeah. even necessarily yeah yeah um you know so i i don't i just i don't know enough is sort mm-hmm. of the short answer yeah and maybe if that's the case but i i i also i feel knows. like i also feel like there's i don't know that joss would have done that just for that like i don't mm-hmm. 
I don't know. I, I don't want to say that he wouldn't write an episode knowing that it might be the last one because, mm-hmm. you know, maybe he would have, but I feel like, I, I don't feel like that would have been the primary thing. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like I still, I still feel like he would have written in service to the story and mm-hmm. maybe so, and this might be a good, like when we get to the actual series finale, maybe we can compare the two, you know, mm-hmm. in that way and say like, how, how is this different from, you know, what the, what people were sort of billing as the potential series finale yeah um was and how how do they work differently because i also feel like given his insistence of of buffy will be back and you know we'll we'll bring her back and we won't tell you how like Mm -hmm. i also feel like if he's writing her death he also probably had an inkling at least of how that would happen yeah even knowing that she was going to die you know what i mean like right it just seems right, like right. he's that yeah. he 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 just seems like to have that sort of personality and storytelling like okay I'm going to kill Buffy but wait how would I bring her back if I was Yeah, bring her he's back, already you know? thinking so about like, how are we going to do this and billing yeah. it as and billing it that way to the you know right. to the fans and stuff as right. like he's not trying I know like the fans said oh that would be just like Joss to do that but like I don't think I think he's about you know putting in a sort of shocking moment when it feels right for the story. But I don't think Joss like, you know, gets his kicks off of like faking out the audience and stuff, you know, like, um, I mean, I think when it's appropriate to a certain extent, but like, yeah, I mean, I think if he really wanted to screw with them, he could have, and he didn't. Sure. Like, like there's, yeah, I don't, I don't think like, like he's clearly not choosing. He never tried to like, it doesn't sound like he ever really took the opportunity to really try to trick anybody into thinking, you know, this was the end of the story no. and everything. No. He seems to have been very upfront about it. So right. that kind of does, I think, color how you... Yeah, and before we started recording, we were talking about, again, which we've talked about before, that C.S. Lewis notion of surprisingness rather than surprise. That, you know, it's not just about, you know... uh what's going to happen or who's going to die or whatever. It's, it's, it's about like, okay, how is this going to happen? How is it told from a story perspective? You know, how does it affect the characters? What does it tell you about the world? All those sorts of things are even more interesting, I think, than just like what's going to happen next is sort of fun on your first viewing. But it's all those other questions that keep you coming back to like multiple viewings and everything. Um, so, yeah. Yeah. Um, so I do want to bring up one, one other, uh, thing, um, is that around this time, um, was also Fox had started development on the Buffy animated series, which had, which never ultimately aired. Mm-hmm. Um, so, um, there's actually, there's actually a reference to it. in one of the things that Joss was writing, um, around this time with sort of the idea of like, oh, this, this is this cool new thing we're working on. Um, it, it doesn't have any effect on the story of season six, but just sort mm-hmm. of, just sort of noting that this is sort of also thrown into the mix of all of these things that are going on, um, that you have this development of, um, 
you know, this animated series that was potentially mm-hmm. going to be written and produced for the following year. Um, hmm. You had uh, Jane Espenson actually wrote several episodes for it. Stephen DeKnight um, wrote an episode, Doug Petrie, and mm-hmm. a couple others um, each wrote episodes, but alas, none of them were ever actually produced and aired. So hmm. Interesting, but they had this sort of main crop of writers working on it. So Yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely. And, and they had... Um, actors signed on so they uh allison hannigan nicholas brendan uh anthony stewart had had all uh signed on as voice actors for it as mm-hmm. well um although i think they ended up having a different actress for the uh for Buffy's voice okay anyway oh sorry that 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 was way more aside so just to sort of round out the production notes um the uh other thing I want to say is that this is, you know, a pretty well-received episode by a lot of fans and a lot of um, even some critical acclaim. Um, it's, you know, consistently on the various top episode lists, uh, although not Joss's top 10 list. Um, it's uh, the fourth highest rated episode on IMDb, um, mm-hmm. like, you know, from fan ratings, mm-hmm. from right, right. viewer ratings. Um, and in 2008, uh, Entertainment Weekly actually listed it as among the top 15 season finales ever of any TV show. Mm-hmm. Um, so just a very, very overall well-received. Um, and we, we'll talk more about sort of the season six accolades and awards and stuff in our recap. But um, just wanted to mention, uh, you know, sort of along with the body, like, you know, the body in this episode are sort of considered the two strongest episodes of the season i think right right um and i like it so that's all that matters (laughs) that's really all we can ask for right right curtis approved okay um Um, well yeah so where do you want to begin talking about the actual story now that we're 20 minutes into uh oh goodness all right so i i actually think in a similar sort of way, maybe to 33 last week with BSG, in terms of the plot, it's actually pretty simple. You know, like we get, you know, it's a it's a big buildup to getting ready for the battle. And then we have a battle, you know, and like there's a lot of like, <laughs> right. you know, and plot. Th- there's there's like no fake out either. It's not like, oh, we're right. going into battle and then it doesn't happen or. Hey, we're right. preparing for this thing, and then there's no right. battle. No, no, it's it's pretty much exactly what it builds. It's yeah, it's the big climactic battle, which is what it does. Um, right. And so, and they even like know they even like know when it's going to happen because there's like that whole moment, yeah, where, like talk where Giles is like, "Well, we have to wait till the last moment, and then we'll rush in." And like, like right. there's this very like tactical timed, you know component to it (laughs) which is great because you have an excuse for why they can all just sort of hang around and talk about stuff because like right if they go in too early then they're all gonna get like beaten before and then glory will still have time to finish the ritual so they can't go in early you know they have to delay and wait until the exact right moment so it, it works well for like structuring the story and everything um sure so, you know, but it also obviously, like I said, gives you a lot of opportunity to talk about what the characters are 
thinking and going through in their preparation because that's all they have to do is really sit around and think about things and think about their potential deaths and what their plan is going to be and all that kind of thing. Um, so I wanted to sort of start with that sort of preparatory, you know, building of tension, um, and kind of go through the characters. Um, so starting with Buffy, um, you know, we got at the end of the last one, uh, her um, coming out of her sort of coma with Willow having sort of convinced her about, um, you know, that it's still her responsibility to rescue Dawn and that Dawn's not dead yet and she shouldn't treat her like she is and she shouldn't give up and do all these things, you know, only to have Giles sort of you know, be the big buzzkill at the end to say, you know, well, you know, uh, we may have to kill Dawn because of this whole blood ritual thing. Um, right. So uh, that's sort of what Buffy is sort of struggling with in the first half is, okay, what do you do with that? You have these contradictory, you know, equally important but contradictory things, um, you know, and like I can't, I can't kill my sister, but I also can't let the world end. And those things, maybe you may have to choose one or the other. Um, and sort of how is she going to deal with that? Um, so, you know, I I mean, I might have to bring in some of the other characters to sort of talk around it, but you know, you get some pretty pragmatic. You know, I you know uh, ideas coming from Giles saying, uh, you know, like, yeah, we don't want Dawn to die and to suffer, but you know, he's kind of taking the the pragmatic route of, well, she might have to die and suffer anyway, so better that it be one person rather than, yeah. you know, very um, Yeah, yeah, that's the word I was looking for. Thanks. Um, you know, and, and Buffy sort of having made this decision that Dawn is, you know, my family and a part of me. And it doesn't matter who or how many lives that saves, she can't do that. And right. and she'll kill anybody who, you know, even tries to go that route. Um, you know, and that's kind of a heavy thing when she says, you know... Um, I love you all, but I'm sorry. And there's this sort of implication there of, I love you all, but I'll let all of you die before I let Dawn die, <laughs> you know? And I'm not saying, I'm not, you know, judging the, the value of that statement. That's just, you know, the decision that she ends up making. And they all have to sort of agree to that before they go in, or at least agree that that's going to be her position, whether or not they, you know totally agree with it themselves um but yeah and i guess that's kind of showing the the thing which separates buffy from the other slayers is the community she has around her and the idea that they all don't argue with that position you know there's that sense of like well by fighting beside you and you know going along with it we agree that we're all gonna, you know, we might all lay down our lives, you know, to rescue Dawn, but then, you know, in service of the greater good and everything. Um, yeah. 
but kind of a like tough note to strike on like, you know, the last of the season, you know, like they're unified, but there's also that sense of like, okay, if there was a time where the relationships are being really tested, here's it. Like, yeah, you know? Yeah. Although I, I do feel like it's mostly Giles. Like we don't, Mm -hmm. we don't really get it clear. Like you get Xander um, sort of expressing the idea that maybe they could kill Ben and like, then he just sort of shuts up and is like, no, we can't really do that. So I, I kind of feel like by their silence, they're sort of agreeing with Buffy in a way for the most part. Um, Or at least not too sure about how, about whether they actually could go through with Mm -hmm. anything. And Giles is really the only one who sort of stands, you know, his whole, we, we bloody well are, you know, going to talk about, you know, the the ruthless but perhaps necessary action mm-hmm. of killing Don, um, which of course is a foreshadowing of what happens with him later, with him mm-hmm. and Ben. Um, not that we'll talk about that now. But I also want to <laughs> say, like, I also want to point out Buffy and Giles's conversation mm-hmm. um, a little bit later. You know, when they're when Buffy's like, "Well, how many apocalypses is this for us now?" You know, and they're kind of like reminiscing, mm-hmm. and and you know, going along with the sort of trajectory of the show where we've talked about, you know, it goes from high school and into like early college or whatever. And now we're in this sort of gray adult world. And she's talking about, you know, how, um, how she knew, she, she felt like she knew what was right. Right. And she says, Mm -hmm. I don't have that anymore. I don't understand. I don't know how to live in this world. If these are the choices and you know, those choices being, like either you stop glory or you kill Don. Like, mm-hmm. you know, if you can't do one, then you have to do the other. Mm-hmm. Um, and of course, you know, the sadness of her mom being gone and, and all of that. So, you know, there is that, there's that sort of ambiguity, like, um, which, which I find interesting with, uh, sort of this episode coming not so much this episode of BSG, but sort of the implications with Lee and sort of his guilt feelings mm-hmm. about the Olympic carrier and stuff. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, sort of the knowing that you did the only thing that you could do, but not feeling good about it. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? And so, so I feel like Buffy is, is kind of feeling that way. It's like, she knows what needs to be done, but she doesn't necessarily like any of the options and and doesn't mm-hmm. necessarily have that sort of righteous slayer anger, you know, yeah. that that she used to have because things have become more muddled and adult and, yeah. uh, you know, just a little more whatever. And, and there's also a nice sort of symmetry with I don't know how to live in this world if these are the choices with what she tells Don later is, is the hardest thing in this world is to live in it. You know, there's, there's that idea of like, I don't feel like she has that attitude at the beginning of the episode. No. Like uh, the attitude being not, not just that that's the hardest thing, but that it's worth doing anyway. It's not just, no, it's hard. Yeah. yeah, Like, like simply acknowledging that it's hard to live in this world is one thing. It's the acknowledgement of it's hard to live in this world and worth doing it anyway. 
that yeah. that sort of makes it. And I don't feel like she's quite there at the beginning of this episode, or even sort of a third or halfway through it when she's having that conversation with Giles. Um, yeah. And saying, yeah. I don't I don't know how to live in this world. Uh, you know, knowing that she has to make literally that choice later. Yeah. So this is totally coincidental and interesting, um, but I'm going to, I did not intend to pull this out here, but I'm going to. Um, and I kind of wrote that down this quote, figuring at some point I will use this and I don't know when, um, but I stumbled on, I was listening to um, a podcast with um, a couple of TV critics, one of them being Mo Ryan, um, who writes a lot of stuff. And um, she actually in talking about, uh, the show The Hundred, which people who watch will know is like, you know, basically, you know, Battlestar fanfic with like, you know, young adult actors and everything. So she calls it Battlestar Babies, but um, it kind of tries to, it, it is kind of like that. It's like mini versions of all the characters and everything. Um, and so, but it, it tries to pick up some of those moral questions, but she kind of distills in this podcast, I wrote this down because I thought it was a great quote, what she thought was the sort of, you know, I guess, big moral theme of that series. But I feel like what you're just saying uh, absolutely applies to this episode of Buffy. So it's interesting because we were just talking before we started recording about how maybe there isn't so much thematic crossover between those shows, but now I'm rethinking that. Um, because sure. the, the quote here, what she calls the Adama paradox um, is, and this is sort of what she identifies as the big ongoing theme of Battlestar is there are two bad choices. Which one do you pick? Each one is defensible and indefensible. So what do you do? Sure. And like over and over, this is the dilemma of there are two choices. They're both wrong and they're both right. <laughs> and, and I feel like that's really pretty much exactly what you were just saying about for Buffy, you know, is, you know, the what's hard about living in the world is making these choices where you've lost your easy sense of one is right and one is wrong um you know i could i could talk myself into both of these choices defensively and yet i could almost never forgive myself for having made either of them you know and right those things are all simultaneously true but being in the world means you have to choose anyway. Um, mm -hmm. You know, and actually I kind of skipped over the whole intro where she's, you know, uh, slaying the vampire in the alleyway and everything. But I think that's interesting because you kind of start with this kind of, for a second, I wasn't sure where this was going, if this was going to end up being like a flashback or something. This felt like, mm. you know, a different era of the show. Like, sure. oh, remember season one when everything right. was so simple and all you had to do was go out to the alleyway behind, you know, the bronze and save a student from an evil vampire. And right. like, right. and the choices were easy and we knew exactly what we were supposed to do and all that. And it's like that, you know, that you know, those halcyon days are past and like we're into like you know, the real adult world of like terrible decisions having to be made and everything. Right. Um, so yeah, I definitely feel like they do a good job of showing just her absolute 
you know, being lost among, okay, I've lost the ability to even, you know, be able to make these, I don't want to say she can't make these decisions because I think she does and she makes the right ones, but that feeling of for herself, whatever I choose is going to be wrong for somebody. Um, and I can't do the right thing by everybody, you know? Yeah. Um, well, yeah. And it's, it's not like the decision she ultimately makes is, is right because like everything works out and is hunky dory in the end. She, she's dead. And a lot of people are going to be sad about that. (laughs) Like, like there, there's, well, and I don't want to give anything away for the next season or anything, but there are consequences to her death, right? Like there, as there are to anyone, you know, and, And so there's definitely, there's definitely an aspect of, yeah, like this is, it's a terrible choice, but it's maybe the least bad of the choices. And the one that ultimately, you know, we, well, we used the word utilitarian with Giles a moment ago, Mm -hmm. but like, that's also Buffy's choice is really pretty utilitarian too. Mm -hmm. Like it's, it's you know, sacrificing the least uh, number of people to save the greater number. And Mm -hmm. it just so happens that it's Buffy who sacrifices Mm -hmm. that. Right. And instead of of having to choose among who do I hurt, you know, this one person that I love or everybody else, she turns that inward, you know, and and figures out, well, there's a third way, which is, you know, I'm the one who sacrifices rather than having to choose between these other people. Um, yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, and yeah, I mean, there are consequences. You could argue, you know, is Buffy really the the least amount of sacrifice? Like, well, if the Slayer's gone, like, there's a lot more bad guys. She's not going to be able to stop if she dies. So from a utilitarian perspective, she's like, you're sacrificing your yeah. queen. But, you know, you know, uh, from yeah. her, from a personal point of view, I can see how she thinks of that as doing the least amount of damage, you know, um, to, you know, it, you know, whereas if she stayed alive and had to sacrifice somebody else, she would have to sort of take on those consequences directly. Um, mm. It also makes me wonder... Okay, so is another Slayer going to be activated? Because <laughs> mm. you know we've had Buffy momentarily die before, and and had yeah. you know Slayers popping up uh, a couple times. So you know that's I, that's a that's a question for a future episode, I think. But that's a good question. Um, actually, I'll go ahead and answer that now. No. <laughs> <laughs> um, what? And Joss is usually so good about the. No continuity. Well, or well, hold on. Okay. There's still continuity. So here's sort of what I think has come come to become the accepted version. Now, I I, I don't want to say that this is what Joss was thinking of at the time. Maybe it is. Maybe it's not. I've not seen anything there. But I think at least within like the realm of Whedon studies, uh-huh. the sort of accepted uh, head explanation <laughs> is yeah, like like. Yeah, what we all agree the, is the explanation. The, the experts all agree. <laughs> <Yeah>. that, <laughs> uh, is is that 
when Buffy died the first time, the Slayer line passed to Kendra and then to uh-huh. Faith. Yes. And so when Buffy was revived, she's not imbued. Like, she's no uh. longer part of the Slayer line, per se. Like, she's still a Slayer. She still has Slayer strength because that's uh-huh. not taken away until you die. Like, until you stay dead. But Right. But by dying that time, she's our she's already passed on. It's sort of like, uh, right. like there's say, a torch that's being passed. From yeah, them to the, yeah, exactly. Yeah, so, yeah. so that rests with faith. Now, if faith died, then you you would have a new Slayer mm-hmm. activated, whatever. But see, so okay, so right. the, you know, sort of take you can extrapolate from there, like other consequences. Faith, as we know, is in prison and not in Sunnydale. So. You know, mm-hmm. <laughs> and doesn't necessarily know that Buffy is dead. You know, right. how how would she necessarily mm-hmm. even get that news? So, right. so there's just that, you know, you can extrapolate what sort of consequences there may be because effectively Buffy dying means there is no Slayer because Faith is not around. Mm-hmm. Um, and not, act- as far as we know, she's not actively like slaying, right? She's doing right. her time. From jail, time. probably not, yeah. Right. Um, right. So yeah, you are still left with that kind of lack of a slayer in the world. Yeah. Um, at least effectively. Right. Right. Now I, I won't say that the idea of the slayer line never comes into play again. We still have two whole more seasons, but just, just the simple answer now is no, (laughs) we will not see like another slayer activated at this point. Okay. All right. I accept that. <laughs> Good, because the experts all agree, and you should too. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, no, I think, I I think that, I I think it's interesting the way that you pointed out, like that um, opening scene with the vampire. It very it very much has a season one feel, or maybe even early season two feel, like before mm-hmm. Angel, you know, gets turned. Yeah. Um, you know of you know, vampire bad, I'm here to slay vampire and save the, and even the way she talks, like, yeah. I, I know she's putting yeah, the, on, the, she's putting the it on, and everything. Yeah. And well, and just like, it's the innocent schoolgirl thing, mm-hmm. right? Like, I feel like even when she slays vampires now, she's not like talking like, Oh, what's going on here? Blah, 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 blah. You know, like that kind of, it's just like, come on guys. Do we really need to do this? Like, mm-hmm. let's get this over with. Um, so even that sort of aspect of it is like she's just sort of what but then when she goes into the magic shop, you know, as Xander asks her, like, oh, what's going on out there? She's just like, eh, vampire. Like, yeah, eh, no big deal. Like, yeah, we've been there, been done, there that. done that. How yeah. many times now? Like, whatever. So so you do get this sort of sense of like moving from that into the present of like. Mm-hmm. Like it's not even that big, but you know, yeah, the whole first to fry. Yeah. the whole first season was like you know, oh these weird exotic monsters called <gasps> vampires, and like now it's like you know we're up to yeah. gods. Like we don't right. like the right. vampires don't even sort of rate on the scale right. anymore. Right. Um, and so there is sort of that that aspect, and then bringing up like Angelus or Angel or whatever, you know, and, mm-hmm. and sort of that whole thing too. There is sort of a progression that I feel like through conversation and, and action a little bit, um, you get the whole first part of this episode being in a way sort of that same sort of recap that the previously on Buffy, you know, thing gives you mm-hmm. of 
she's working through it and, and sort of figuring out like almost figuring out how far you come. And that, and so, you know, does that play into the series finale aspect of the episode? Mm. Maybe a little, like I, Mm -hmm. you know, maybe there is a bit of playing it up there um, in that, but yeah, I don't know. I don't, I guess I don't really have anything more to say than that, but I, I would, I would definitely agree with you that, that it has that feel to it. Yeah. Um, and so I feel like we kind of talked about Giles in there and sort of his, you know, utilitarian views and everything. Um, but also with the foreshadowing, um, you get Tara sort of pointing to him, you know, right. You're a killer. Um, you know, sort of giving us a little hint of, you know, what's to come and what sort of thoughts he might be, you know, what sort of plans and backup plans he might be making, you know? Um, yeah. And well, okay. We can talk about that moment later, but um, yeah. Yeah. No, I agree. Um, so with Spike, um, you know, a couple things, him being the one to sort of explain the importance of it being a blood ritual and how there's sort of a symbolic weight, you know, that, lymph doesn't work you know the like right. <laughs> you, it needs to be there there is something sort of inherently magical i guess about you know there being blood rituals and that's why sure. vampires you know and spike knows this this is you know what you know he needs to keep going it's what everybody needs yeah. um well and so. and you get the, like this is like the indoctrinated talking to the uninitiated right like this is you know spike as sort of a supernatural being it like everybody knows this like yeah yeah. how do you not know this you know this is just it has to be blood of course it has to be blood and that's like something that crosses like interspecies barriers like it doesn't matter if you're humans or vampires or gods blood is essential you know um that's sort of you know what you need and whatever you're sort of you know, rituals are. Right. Um, but also um, we get him, you know, making these, you know, this kind of culmination of, you know, his ongoing arc with Buffy, mm. um, you know, and him making some, you know, promises to her about, uh that, you know, well, you know, I always, like, he's really the only one, like you said, it's implicit in everyone else's silence that they agree with her and will fight. And I think they all feel it. But like, Spike is the only one that comes out and says it, you know, of, you know, well, I always knew I'd go down fighting and, you know, I'll protect Dawn, you know, to the end of the world and everything that he not only agrees to stay by Buffy for the whole fight, but agrees that Dawn is the priority you know, and kind of says this out loud, Um, you know, and you also get his sort of acknowledgement of, and and kind of acceptance of Buffy's not reciprocating his feelings, but also, you know, him maybe voicing more clearly why it is that he has those feelings, which is that, you know, he, she treats him like a man even though he's you know a monster and everything um and he again accepting that he doesn't deny it but he there's something about the way that she treats him which he sort of can't help but 
you know, be drawn to and everything. Um, and then you get her very sort of kind reciprocation of inviting him into the house. Um, you know, after all this, he has sort of, I think through his, you know, continual prove, you know, keeps continuing, continually proving his, uh, protection of Dawn, um, which is sort of become Buffy's priority. He has sort of earned his way back into the Scooby fold a little bit. Um, yeah. Until the point where she feels that she can say, I mean, I know it's sort of the end of the world, but she does say um, that he can come in and he's accepted and everything. Sure. Sure. Uh, I was going to go on to Willow and Tarot. Anything with Giles and Spike that I missed that you think is important? Uh, no, I think that's, I think we're good. All right. So Willow is the big gun. Um, and Buffy sort of, you know, has to sort of psych her out because you tell Willow she's the big gun and she immediately sh starts to sort of, you know, the more you tell Willow how confident she should be, the less confident she gets, you know, like she has all this power, but, you know, she's not uh, one to really brag about that or see that as, you know, recognize the power mm. for what it is. Um. So of course she has a spell that she's been working on and of course it's a good one. Um, but the notion that this is sort of the thing that we're all relying on is sort of, you know, a big deal for her. Um, but, you know, Buffy does point out she's the only one that's ever even sort of stood up to glory at all so far. So, uh, I think like across the season, we've seen Willow becoming more and more magically powerful. Mm -hmm. So there's the sense of, okay, Buffy and the others are starting to rely on that. You know, like when we're going into like one of these big battles, it can't just be Willow whips out a spell at the last minute that saves our butts. It's like, all right, we have to plan for this ahead of time. And like, we know it's going to happen and that you're capable of it. And right. it has to be something that we can sort of reliably work into the plans and everything. Yep. Yep. Um, I don't know that I have like a ton of stuff for Tara, really. I mean, we get her pointing to Giles and, you know, her, her, you know, big day, big day and everything. Um, and I guess like the biggest thing is, like you said, using all these things throughout the season to sort of culminate in this final episode, the fact that they are able to make use of what happened to Tara, you know, like yeah. that, that's a nice layer. Like, I wonder if when they did that to the character, did they know where it would go, you know, because she's the thing which leads them to, you know, glory and, you know, all these other victims of hers just sort of are, you know, these homing devices that are finding their way towards where they're supposed to be. So when they're sitting around going, oh, we don't even really know where to look, suddenly it's like, oh, Tara knows, you know? Right. Yeah. Yeah. She's a little beacon, you know, she has a beacon to sort of follow. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> yep. Yeah. Yeah. No, the, um, 
I mean, the biggest sort of moment with with Tara and Willow is is when Tara uh, smacks her, mm-hmm. you know, and that, and not so much that as the look on her face immediately after, mm-hmm. you know, and you and you get that sense of that's not what she meant or wanted, but there's something dysfunctional and mm-hmm. and she's not able to sort of express herself in the way that she wants. And you, you know, and thinking back of course, to that conversation with uh, that she, that Tara and glory had, I don't know. Monologue might be more appropriate than conversation Mm -hmm. of, you know, glory sort of describing what it feels like and, and, you know, the feeling of being lost and never being able to sort of find your way out. Mm -hmm. Um, And sort of the expressiveness that, Amber Bensing gives to that mm-hmm. feeling there, mm-hmm. I think is really, really well done. Yeah. You definitely get like, she's taken over by something or experiencing something that we can't quite understand, but like Tara's still in there somewhere. So it's like, like you said, like it's that realization of after I did something, you know, harsh and mean and violent there's that recognition of, oh, I can't believe I, I would never do that. You know, that her, like Tara almost responding to what she's just unwillingly done and everything. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, so Xander and Anya. Um, <laughs> so yeah, Anya's great. Her, I, I do really enjoy the way that, um, Anya's uh, desire to live becomes the strongest motivating factor for everybody. It's like nobody right. wants to live. Nobody wants to live more than Anya. You know, like ev- everybody wants to live, but they're all kind of sitting around going, "Well, gee, I don't know how we're going to do this, and right. it's probably not going to work, and we don't even know where to start, and all this." And yet, like Anya's like, "All right, we got to like get past that because." Right. <laughs> We're never going to live if this is the attitude. Well, and, um, I, and I, I mean, there's so many things, right? Because it, yeah. it's that, you know, first of all, it, it, it's that, you know, sort of her being awkward and, you know, still still not quite comfortable in her, her humanity of mm-hmm. not quite knowing the right emotions or levels level of emotion, you know, to experience. So it's, you know, so she sort of tries to run it like, a creative brainstorming session in like sort of a corporate office right like it's like okay guys we need some ideas think outside the box here like and you know i mean and Childs totally calls her out on her uninfectious enthusiasm which is you know appropriate but also i love that when they sort of call her out and, and are like uh and is it spike and giles or or someone giles and someone else sort of are like, well, what do you have? Like, right, you yeah, know, yeah. you're telling everyone else to come up with stuff. What do you have? And immediately, she's the Dagon Sphere. She's got like three yeah. ideas, yeah. And yeah. then the troll, you know, hammer and yeah. whatever else. Yeah, it's just like, boom, 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 right off the bat, she she yeah. has these ideas and they're all like, oh yeah, oh, like yeah. those <laughs> yeah. are actually like pretty good ideas. Like, we should have thought of that. But of course, they're all, I well, I was going to say they're all sort of too self-absorbed, but in some ways Anya's the most self-absorbed right. of them all. <laughs> Which is exactly what they need because right. I think they're also 
focused on the bigger picture, Anya is the only one who's saying, okay, yeah, but what are we going to do? You know, like, right. all right, if we right. all it, agree that we want to win, we have to actually figure out how that's going to happen and think about, the, yeah, the particulars. And yeah, so her self-focus becomes like, she's the only one like with a clear head in that moment, you know? Right. Um, you know, a- along with her, just her sense of like, like, pa- it, ascending panic you know <laughs> like time's a waste and you know we gotta you know and uh you know her great line about here to help one to live um yeah like it's no skin off my back like i'm helping you so that i can live and you know yep. and this is where we all sort of need to be is this is enlightened self-interest at its best <laughs> yeah no it really is um yeah which i think hey you know if that's what ends up saving the day you know it it's the thing that sure. puts them on the right track to actually having and she you know they find the buffy bot too so it's you know right. a lot of the things that xander and anya contribute um are these sort of practical helpful things you know they're not the ones battling glory but you know they can sort of put all the little pieces in place that sort of lead you know, clear the way and everything. Sure. Um, and you also get uh, their proposal as well. Um, you know, yeah. with Anya being a little bit offended, thinking that this is like, you know, Xander can have his cake and eat it too. He can, you know, he can have the proposal without actually having to go through with it. Um, sure. Whereas, you know, for Xander he is sort of voicing, you know, maybe like the one person in the group who's actually fairly confident that this will have a good ending. Um, you know, and I think Xander has been that kind of voice of sort of hopefulness at times of just, I have, you know, faith in Buffy and faith that we've won in the past and, you know, good will always sort of triumph. Um, so, yeah, and I like his line about how he'll live a long and silly life, and, <laughs> yeah, it was, uh, it was good, so, you know, Anya says to give it to her when the world doesn't end, so, you know, they're only sort of pre-engaged at the moment, but, um, right. <laughs> I guess, I guess in the next season we'll be looking at you know, them as an engaged couple, so. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe. Um, all right. So, <laughs> in the two minutes we have left. Oh, uh, well, actually, we haven't even talked about Don and Ben and Glory sort of in their preparation phase. I don't know that there's a ton to talk about with them. There. No, I, I mean, I think the only important thing I wanted to point out was Dawn's uh, kind of rejection of Ben after he, you know, sure. makes the decision at the end of the last episode that, you know, Glory finally convinces him to, <clears throat> you know, go through with it. And, you know, now Dawn sort of, she's done with him, you know, like, she says, you know, he's a monster. At least you're upfront about it. Um, right. So, you know, again, that that 
longing for the simplicity of like it's nicer when you can tell who the bad guys are you know and glory is very obviously one of the bad guys um whereas ben falls more in that gray area you know of well is he a villain really he's you know yeah you know i don't want to put him on the same I wouldn't put him to the same moral standard as Anya, but there is that sense of, well, he's just a self-interested person who's trying to survive, you know, and, you know, uh, some, you know, a lot of people would do the same in his position. Sorry, go ahead. No, no. I I was going to say sort of the irony of Xander's position of, well, you know, Ben isn't like, as innocent as Don is actually kind of true. It's just that the Scoobies don't know that at that point. Like right. they don't know that Ben has sort of made an affirmative choice to help Glory. And so, you know, other than Don, who's with them. So, yeah. so it's interesting because on the one hand, like Xander is sort of wrong in his attitude because he doesn't know that mm-hmm. that's the way, but he's sort of right because Ben has made that decision. So sort of objectively, yeah. Xander is actually stating something that's true. And there's, there is, there is an actual, you know, maybe self-defense or, or defense of others, you know, uh, argument to mm-hmm. kill Ben to stop, you know, his helping glory kill Dawn. If I yeah. said that right, I think I did. Um, so yeah, no, there's definitely like that, it is frustrating because like, you know, Ben, like, I think, I think it's one of those situations where it's just, you have a guy who's otherwise a perfectly nice and decent person that gets sort of trapped in his situation. And, you know, mm-hmm. like Laurie says, there are a lot of people who would make the same choice as him. And we can sort of understand that because I'm not a hundred percent sure if I was, you know, threatened with my own sort of annihilation that Mm -hmm. I wouldn't choose to try to stop it in whatever way I could either. Um, Right. You know, maybe I would, maybe I wouldn't, but, but you can at least understand where he's coming from with it. Um, No, I think it puts, yeah, it, it, it puts him in the same conversation as Buffy and all these other people who are stuck with, two bad choices you know and that doesn't mean that what he chooses is the right thing but i think it it takes him out of that pure villain role and kind of makes him somebody who's like you said in a tough position and you know is you know uh, faced with two terrible choices neither of which are you know very good so um so Maybe let's let's change up how we were going to talk about the order because like like I don't like yeah. Xander and Anya don't really do much in the fight. Um, Willow and Tara, no. there's a little bit there, but maybe let's just keep finish off with Ben and and um, sure Glory and Giles and all of that. Sure. Here. Uh, so, I mean, let's stick with Ben, and let's talk about the Giles ending. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Did you see so, that coming? Uh, no. <laughs> no, I did not. I thought that's like, 
that's one of those things that we'll talk about it, but we won't like really go there, you know, like we'll talk about how Giles is prepared to do the difficult thing, you know, to save humanity and save the world, but it won't actually come to that, especially because glory or uh, Buffy defeated them. Um, so it won't actually be put into practice, but um, yeah, you get Buffy, you know, basically defeating them, you know, and getting her promise that they'll leave them alone. Um, and that's not good enough for Giles, you know, that promise he knows isn't worth much from glory and will probably come back to bite them. Um, and it's interesting. I, I mean, it's hard to talk about not knowing where it goes in the future and sort of the moral consequences of that because sure. for all I know nobody ever knows that this happens and and Giles never faces any sort of moral you know consequence of this decision but mm. as I'm watching it like the thing it reminds me of most strongly sort of ironically is you know all the stuff uh in you know the lord of the rings about the sparing of Gollum, you know and how mm. you know when you have the opera you know if you, you have somebody who's despicable and dangerous and will probably try to kill you later on but they're at a weak moment and you have the opportunity you know to take care of them for your own future peace of mind you know and the fact that the 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 moral superiority of showing mercy when you don't have to later becomes the thing which is you know the key to everybody's salvation right so that's the sort of at least from Tolkien's point of view that's a clearly validated position um even if it doesn't seem smart at the time so you know it's hard yeah. for the it's hard for I'm so colored by Tolkien in that way it's hard for me to not apply that to this moment and to wonder, you know, what does that mean for the future? What does that mean for Giles? Like, I'm sure there's a practical value to it. Okay. We know now that Glory's never going to come back, you know, so we can right. all kind of sleep a little bit more soundly right. about it, but you know, uh, yeah. well, you know, and, and it's you don't, you don't know, what kinds of there may be ripples effects that you don't even understand that you sure. know and and what does that mean for giles like because like we've seen giles be pragmatic and we've seen his sort of ripper side where he can be kind of cold and ruthless but this is like a new level you know this is giles you know they talked about killing ben as you know killing you know if not a perfectly innocent person, at least like, you know, a human being, not like a god or a monster or anything. Right. So to have Giles sort of coldly, you know, like, and so sort of, you know, yeah. you know, well, he's just so sort of blank and cold as he's doing it. Um, uh, other other than Faith, who who kills the deputy mayor on accident, Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Is this unless the I'm the unless I'm forgetting someone, this is the only time we have a Scooby 
killing kill, a human. Killing a human. And certainly the only time doing it intentionally. Yeah. Right. Um so uh, yeah. yeah, there's there's yeah, a lot, so there's a lot to huge. talk about here. Yeah. Um I hadn't made the connection to Gollum, um, or sort of that idea of mercy uh or pity or or whatever that you that you talked about. Um I mean it's definitely clear that that Whedon has a much different sort of driver than Tolkien. So like that, yeah, you know, no, that, that know, doesn't necessarily surprise me, you know, no. one, one way or the other. Um, no, I, it doesn't. It doesn't to me either. And I don't want to apply the moral framework of one story to you yeah. know, the other necessarily. But um, um, so I think, you know, uh, there's actually so there's one. Um, I mean, there are a number of like papers and articles and whatever that talk about Giles mm -hmm. and, and his decision here. Um, there's one in particular um, that was published in uh, Slayage, the, the journal uh, of the Whedon Studies Association that, um, that compares him to Aeneas. Um, mm -hmm. And I won't, I mean, I won't go through the whole comparison. We can link to the article or whatever, but um, I, you know, it, it does a pretty good job of sort of, describing sort of the the and and your mention of Tolkien and and sort of that idea of pity coming out of sort of the grace and mercy right of, of sort of the Christ, Christian tradition mm -hmm. um the idea of being here um if you wanted to get into sort of typology and stuff and mm -hmm. and talk about uh you know Buffy with her arms spread and almost sort of a Christ-like <laughs> you know yeah. sacrifice and that kind of thing um, you could easily get into some of that sort of Christian symbology here. And I'm not, and I wouldn't even argue, like, I kind of think there are some moments where Joss is going for some of that, like with the arm spread sacrifice mm -hmm. type of thing. Um, you know, even maybe the talk of blood and, and sort mm -hmm. of, you know, that type of thing. Um, but the this paper specifically in, in bringing up Aeneas and talking about sort of um, some of the different comparisons there with Giles um, says that he actually sees in, in this uh, killing, uh, you know, a, a very pre-Christian idea of uh, what it means to be a hero. And that, mm -hmm. that he sort of says it, it still fits in because it's uh, almost because of that utilitarianism um, mm -hmm. that Giles exhibits that, that there's it, it's a different weighting of what it means to be a hero than maybe we have in sort of a post-christian world and mm -hmm. and um that's sort of exemplified by uh you know by that sort of classical story um and and also uh the other sort of conjectures that you know giles being giles and sort of being trained by the Watchers Council that like the Aeneid would be something that like he totally would have read as part of like his classical right. training or whatever, you know, which, you know, sure. Why not? Um, you know, we don't have any evidence one way or another, but it doesn't seem out of character either for like yeah. a upper crust English person to have read the Aeneid. Right. Right. Um, and possibly in the original Latin, you know, or, yeah, yeah. or perhaps even probably given, yeah, you yeah. know, Giles in like middle school. Yeah. Um, um, whatever. So yeah, well, and that's interesting that, that the argument is that that's a earlier form of heroism because it's interesting to me that Giles 
doesn't make that argument. You know, he's not arguing sure. that. He's not out there saying, and, I'm the hero. I'm going to save us all. He frames it as Buffy's the hero and she's doing what's right. <laughs> yeah. And I'm the one who's going to come in and do the dirty work, you and, know, that needs to be done that the heroes shouldn't have to do. Yeah. Um, and that that's all true. Um, I, you know, again, this is an academic sort of making comparison between two stories sure. that were written well, thousands and, of and, years apart. But and I uh, think one th there's a distinction to be made between what characters say and what is actually going on. And there's not always the same, you know, sure. Giles perspective on his actions isn't necessarily the gospel, uh, you know, truth. Um, that's but um but you I, know, but I think that's I, I, I think one of the points. So uh, C.W. Marshall is the guy's name. And I think what uh, that's one of the points that Marshall is trying to make, though, is that like that there are multiple ways to sort of look at what it mm -hmm. means to be a hero. And and like, I think you're right. Like Giles is sort of saying, I'm not the hero. You know, it, so he's almost uh, it just occurred to me. He's almost like like the operative and serenity in that way. It's like right. he knows, you know, you know, you know, uh, uh Mal says, to, you know, tells the operative when when he's sort of talking to him over um, the screen after Mal has seen that he's gone and like destroyed all these different havens where he might have gone. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and the, you know, he says, oh, you know, you, you're trying to make things for your perfect little world. And the operative's like, no, I, I'm a monster. I know I'm a monster. I'm not I'm not going to live there like this. is I'm not making this for me, right. you know, right. and that's that's sort of the same attitude certainly not same words or whatever that Giles is using but I feel like mm -hmm. it's it's a similar attitude almost mm -hmm. in that way um you know whether and, you call I that mean, hero or villain is which side of the coin you're on right in a well way, I mean you know you can see that as its own type of sacrifice you know of, of sure Buffy is the clean pure hero whereas I'm the one doing this sort of necessary you know dirty work and I accept that and um but also yeah I mean there's the villainy aspect of it of like yeah the villains always convince themselves that they're doing the right thing and sure. you know so it it does kind of speaking of like you know in a episode that's all about indefensible choices and moral decisions Giles is definitely caught up in that too of of he's looking at you know all these options that are not, none of them are good. And he's making the one that he thinks is, you know, the rightest, I guess. Um, yeah. So, yeah, no, I definitely, um, even though he kept talking about it that way, I didn't necessarily see that coming. I mean, in the moments before it happened and when he's starting to sort of lean over him in a threatening way, I started to get kind of like nervous about it, but I wasn't sort of predicting from the beginning of the episode that this is the way it was going to go. Sure. Um, yeah. And even at the be beginning when he like first comes, he's like, you know, can you move? It's like, you know, it's like you think might he's be going down to like him, help yeah. him. Yeah. Like, yeah. 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 No, definitely. Definitely. Um, yeah. yeah. I mean, no, it's, it's really, it's the it's the one he doesn't help and starts to take off and clean his glasses methodically. Yeah. That's when you're starting yeah. to get that sense of wait a minute. Yeah. Um, well, and you mentioned his Ripper days um, earlier too. Uh, you know, this is 
there's also a sense where, you know, with Ripper, you know, it, it, he's one, he's young and two, yeah. it's very emotional. It's sort of like, yeah, you, you know, that yeah, like we get, we get the, yeah. we get the band candy stuff, right. Where it's, yeah, he's youth, he, he's young, he's, he's, uh, you know, just trying to impress the ladies, you know, like, you know, it's not whatever, like, this is very much more, like, I don't get the feeling, this is definitely Giles, not Ripper, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Like, yeah. this is calculated, it's, you know, weighing the different options, and, you know, like we said, like, sort of taking maybe the least bad of them, mm-hmm. Um yeah. Yeah, whether and what consequences there may be, um, certainly won't say at this point. But yeah, you know, keep keep thinking about it, and mm-hmm. we'll we'll figure it out. All right, wow, we gotta wrap it up. I think <laughs> if we can, we do. So, uh, all right. Um, I mean, I I do kind of feel like we kind of talked about. Buffy a bit and her you know her decision and everything so maybe we already sort of covered that um you know and and I don't even know that there's that much more to say about Spike really I mean he he makes good on his promise you know he doesn't do that effectively you know he gets beaten by Doc and thrown off you know the ledge and everything but um there's that sense that he tried his hardest and he really would have you know uh you know died trying to protect dawn um mm-hmm. keeping his promise to to his lady as he said um so i'm not sure that there's a ton more to say about it you know other than that he delivered on what he said he would do um sure sure yeah so for buffy the only thing i would say is you know i that that speech, or well, I don't know if speech is the right word, that, you know, what she sort of whispers to Dawn at the end mm-hmm. is obviously very important. You know, yeah. uh, she yeah. says, you know, listen, I love you. I will always love you, but this is the work I have to do. Tell Giles I figured it out and I'm okay and give my love to my friends. You have to take care of them now. You have to take care of each other. You have to be strong. Dawn, the hardest thing in this world is to to live in it. <clears throat> be brave. Live for me. Um. So you know, one of the things that we've talked about, and, and even you alluded to earlier in the episode, was, you know, how, like, this is the Slayer with family and friends, right? Mm-hmm. Well, now, it's just the family and friends, mm-hmm. right? So it's, this is, uh, you know, Buffy saying, you know, don't, don't break up, don't, you know, there is a sense where when someone dies, like sometimes you lose connection with the other people that you knew sort of in common with that person. Right. Mm -hmm. Like, like maybe, you know, with certain people, like you just have that, you know, maybe they were your one connection to like this whole group of friends or, or whatever that you don't really, you know, once they're gone or once you don't see them anymore and, and maybe not even dies, maybe they just move away or something. Like you just don't have that same, connection or or you know access to the same people that you sort of had through them um Mm -hmm. and so this is that you know sort of reminder of you know one first the reassurance of i'm okay like this is this isn't i'm not struggling anymore i found Mm -hmm. out the answer that i was looking for and this is 
you know, that conversation that Giles and I had earlier this evening about, you know, I don't really know what to do. Like, I know what to do now. Like, this mm-hmm. is, this is what I have to do. I put the pieces together. Um, but then also that emphasizing of what I think is really the core of all of Joss Whedon's works is the coming together of friends and family in, in a way that, and, and sort of like chosen family, right? Not, mm-hmm. not just biological family, although there's an aspect of that too. Um, certainly this season, mm-hmm. uh, you know, of, you know, like you have to look out for each other. Like you can't just rely on one person just because I'm gone. Like mm-hmm. there there has to be a connection there and you have to take care of each other and all that. So Yeah. Yeah. Well, and you're saying like that sense of her finally having the clarity of her decision, the relief that comes with that, you know, mm-hmm. and that she's at the most peace that she's been you know, in a, in a long time, you know, and we even got some of that in, in her coma when she was sort of talking about how she imagined sort of giving up and in kind of a defeated way, what a relief it would be to just let Dawn die and let everything just happen and not have to fight anymore. Mm. I think in a, in a more, you know, enlightened and fulfilled way you get that same kind of relief here of you know I finally I don't have to struggle for the choice because I know what the choice is and even though it's not a happy choice and that she'll die she dies knowing that she's protecting the people that she loves and doing the right thing and that there's a relief to that Mm. so it's sad but it's not like horribly sad and awful in the same way that you know an untimely death would be although I mean this is untimely but she's the owner of that decision you know she made that decision and it was the right one she made the best one that she could um sure so there's still some sense of like purpose to it um even if it's sad for those that are left behind um, which is also interesting knowing that she'll be back. <laughs> like, you know, um, Buffy doesn't know that. So sure, that's obviously right. a very different thing for her thinking that, you know, this is final. This is the end of the story and everything. Yep. Uh, yeah. And I like the, the little bittersweet note at the end of the grave, the gravestone of, you know, we have her grave, you know, she was, you know, uh, a hero she saved the world a lot so you know that that trademark Whedon have you sort of laughing and crying in the same instant uh sure. sort of works well at the end there sure and and knowing that there's that you know like there's a gravestone so like the service has happened like this is after right like mm-hmm. like it's not like she doesn't come back immediately Right. right. There's like right. there's just sort of the implication of time there. And of right. course, now we're going into the summer and right. the next season doesn't start till October. <laughs> right. Okay. Yeah. Right. So a fair yeah, so a fair amount of time that the characters have to sort of live with this reality. Yeah. Right. 
Right. Yeah, because we always we always see that, right? Like, I mean, I know right. we're not. There's in, usually like a, a break with we're, the characters. We're too. we're not in like school seasons anymore, but you know that's generally the trend is that there's time right mm-hmm. between the the seasons. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, all <sighs> right. Wow. We will get to that in several weeks after we talk <laughs> about all the recaps. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and stuff and and the angel finale as well yeah yeah all right on to bsg mm-hmm. so you had um well we had a couple of production notes um you wanted to mention about the writing yeah so i do want to try to bring up the writers uh you know to sort of track them as we go um and i haven't pointed it out so far so i figured i should do that now that um all of the mini series as well as 33 and water are all written by ron moore so mm. you know as the sort of showrunner and lead writer he's sort of building up a lot of the mythology and the characters up front and doing everything to sort of set things in motion and then i think it's after this um, it starts going to some of the other writers and then he comes back for the season finale. So, um, okay. you know, worth pointing out that he's like, you know, not just the creator and developer of the show, but a writer of it too, you know, who's writing uh, some obviously very important episodes. So, sure. um, yeah, just wanted to mention that. Cool. Um, one of the things I wanted to mention about production here too is that we have um and and i guess we had it in the last episode too but i just forgot to talk about it um is with the title sequence so you have sort of the standard um opening Mm -hmm. uh well well, you always so you have like the little prequel bit right like the setting up the story and then you get the you know the battlestar galactica um theme and the you know mm-hmm. uh you know logo and stuff come up um and you get like the opening like the char- you know you get like the the standard character title sequence mm-hmm. but then you always get um you know with starting with the the series here you mm-hmm. get um that real heavy like drum part of the yeah, solo yeah. where you know really sort of picks up and um it's interesting because you get the the different scenes mm-hmm. just quick snapshots of like what's going to happen in the upcoming episode so you mm-hmm. get so it's not this isn't like previously on i mean you get that mm-hmm. but you know earlier but uh and i don't remember if they continue doing that throughout the whole series or not but you do get this like sort of preview and i i always found that interesting from a Mm -hmm. sort of viewer perspective because yeah one i don't i can't think of any other show that does Mm -hmm. that or has done that since psg has done no (laughs) um no i don't either but i just i like that like i feel like even though we haven't gotten into it yet (laughs) Mm -hmm. um you know one running theme throughout the episode is you know we'll all this has all happened before and it will all happen again. And so like, I, I, I feel like you're almost getting the sense of like, sometimes maybe what some of the Cylons or even maybe some of the humans are feeling in, Mm. in the show of like, 
like these little flashes of maybe what's going to happen next because it's happened before kind mm. of thing. And, and just that idea of like, like you just see these, you know, snippets and, and they're completely out of context and you don't know what's going on in any of them when they're sort of flashing through. But mm -hmm. then when you watch the episode and then maybe go back and see it and you see all the little snippets and you're like, Oh wow, those are like all really important moments in the episode. Right, and, right. and just like these really key you know pieces that that you just don't have you know the context around so right right um i don't know i just yeah. always thought it was an interesting way to open and and also a way to get people to maybe sort of watch something that would normally like maybe that would be when you would normally go up get up and get a glass of water or something right right like, right, right yeah <laughs> um but but right. you want to watch it watch the because, credits yeah <laughs> because it's it's actually going to tell you a little bit you know and, and give you sort of teasers for the upcoming episode right no that's a good point yeah um and it does do that it gets you especially with the drum music it gets you very pumped so like there's this kind yeah. of like ah, oh, yeah we're in the adventure now and like here's all the exciting things um yeah and like i feel like i've had like a bit of a love-hate relationship with them because in general i like it and usually i like it ever so often as a viewer on my first viewing, I felt they were, they would occasionally tip into being a bit too spoilery, I guess. Like there's mm. every so often there's, like you said, mostly it's short little images that are completely out of context, but every so often I feel like there's one in there that like, it tells me what's coming and it mm. tells me more than I necessarily want to know. Like um, maybe the reveal of a character that you thought was gone or something something like that or some big action moment that lets you know oh there's mm. going to be like you know maybe there's going to be a battle here where a i thought there wouldn't yeah. be or whatever um so occasionally i would quibble with like individual shots that got included but like i think in 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 general i agree with you that like it, it is a cool concept and most of the time i really like it um, and especially on like repeat viewing when, you know, yeah. when I know what's going to happen. So matter. who yeah. cares? Um, yeah. Then I do. Then I actually enjoy watching it closer and kind of looking really like, you know, be paying more attention to like which scenes did they include and like which shots and everything. Sure. So, um, yeah, but it is weird. Like, I don't think any other show, I mean, other shows have like trailers, but like, you know, that's like normal and you can choose not to watch them. Whereas like this is built into like the episode. Itself. Right. Right. So, and there might, right. Like a show might have like next week on whatever, right. you know, right. Blah, right. blah, blah. But yeah, right. it's, which I don't know why that doesn't bother me because obviously that is at least a spoilery, if not more so. So maybe it's just that I'm not used to this sort of the format of the way this is done, but, um, yeah, you know, it is an interesting little, and I like your idea of, that 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 notion of the repeated story and the sense of like kind of fate and foreshadowing that it gives everything of like yeah. here's yeah, what will happen this hour you know <laughs> almost a deja vu kind of thing yeah. like you just like yeah. you get flashes of what's coming just before it actually happens kind of right thing. right um, but yeah interesting all right so um let's talk about so this episode is uh highly centered around boomer yes uh and not that i mean 
every episode of BSG has many characters, but like, you know, there's, there's sure. often times where there'll, there'll maybe be one that sort of stands out. And I feel like she's yeah. the one for this episode. Yeah. This is our first kind of more character centric episode, I guess. Um, and I, you know, and, and I like it, you know, I, I tend to enjoy stories that start in Medias Reyes and, mm. uh, you definitely get that here with her just like sitting there dripping wet mm-hmm. in like some storage area and like she sort of like wakes up or comes mm-hmm. to or yeah. you know like turns on like I'm not, I'm not sure <laughs> yeah. what Boots the up. <laughs> yeah right exactly like I'm, I'm not sure the exact phrase to use there um but yeah the the idea that you know she's just there like something has clearly just happened mm. um and and on a repeat watch like you know there's even i feel like there's even more questions mm-hmm. because at least the questions that i was thinking the second time around I, okay so sort of first time around you're watching it and you're like okay why the hell is she wet and what's going mm-hmm. on and then like you see her digging through her bag and you find like the detonator and the explosives and like yeah like all these different things. But but the second time you're watching, you're like, well, wait a minute. Okay. Like, you know what's coming down the pike. Mm-hmm. And you know that, like, the water main gets blown up. Mm-hmm. So, or the the water tanks, not the mm-hmm. main. But, um, and so, like, she's wet. Mm-hmm. So you're like, okay. So is she, like, the clear implication seems to be she's the one who set those charges. The yeah. yeah. Um, how did she do that? And how did she get to where she is now without being discovered? Like, mm-hmm. did anyone see her dripping wet, like walking through the ship? Like, like mm-hmm. how, you know, how did she get to this place without being seen? Um, why didn't she like change somewhere else? Like, I don't, you know, there's like all these questions about sort of the, the tactical ways of like mm-hmm. how she did all those things, at least for me, there were. Sure. Yeah. Um, so I don't know. I I feel like, and and those don't get answered. Like we don't right. have answers, at least in this episode. I don't right. know. I don't know if we ever get answers to some of those types of questions. And right, right. Um, you know, whatever. But uh, yeah, like just that that I I I like the like it's very strong opening of her just sort of being yes. there and yeah and it is. you know um you know uh, uh, Grace Park right is mm-hmm. the actress. Uh, mm-hmm. Like, I think she does a good job of just the um, confusion that she sort of has yeah. of, like, what's going on, not really clear. And so, um, and of course, we know at this point that she's a Cylon because we've seen, you know, mm-hmm. uh, at the end of the miniseries, we saw her there. And we've seen, we see, like, the, the second Sharon, right, right with Hilo right. and stuff. Um, so, you know, there's this question of, like, is there, is there a way for sort of the Cylon, at least the human, you know, human-looking Cylons, to like sort of cordon o- cordon off like part of their brain, or you know, maybe there's like background instructions running. Like we don't really know what the mm-hmm. what the details are, but um, some of that comes into play later, and it's just this idea of. You know, like, how does that, ha- like, is there sort of, like, a self-erasing 
memory, right. you know, thing going on here. Like she has certain instructions, but we don't really know what they are. They apparently included blowing this thing up, but you know, why now? Why not do something before when, you know, I don't know, anything yeah. else could have, you know, when there were like, like what, what about that time when, you know, remember we had like 238 FTL jumps like in right. a row, like right. maybe on the third one, she could have like blown up the FTL or something like, right, right. you know, it's just like that sort of thing of like, what are all these, what are all these things that are causing this to happen now and all of that? And yeah, I mean, yeah. besides the fact that now we have a series and we want to have a different story every week. Like, sure. <laughs> um, sure. No, but I think so a couple things. Um, I think I totally agree with you that like just starting it with no explanation, just with her is very strong. And it, I think what it does is it really puts you kind of on her side. Like, you know, mm -hmm. this is the Cylon. This is the Cylon that we know best, maybe like besides sure. like number six, um, you know, yeah. who, we, who's, I think more mysterious, you know, we don't quite know exactly what and, she is or how she works. And um, right. And number six, we, we, like what we know of number six is in Baltar's head. Yeah. So, so it's that... like completely compromised and like, right. Yeah. And, like, and unreliable. Yeah. Whereas like Boomer feels like just one of the other characters. So it, it kind of puts you next to her and you get to see her by herself having this moment of like, what a terrifying thing to just wake up you don't know how you got here. You know, you're totally like soaked and disoriented and then find all these sort of bombs planted all over the place. Um, and yeah. you know, it like, it totally takes like someone who's like on the side of what we're thinking of as like the villains and makes her this really sympathetic, like relatable character. Sure. But like to your question about like, you know, why this plan? Why now? Why all these other things? Like, one, like you said, we don't see any of the preparation for this. So we don't know, like, mm. you know, is how did she get around? Does she have, like, secret passageways that she knows? Does she have help um, that we don't right. know about? You know, sure. there's there's a lot of unanswered questions there. But I think also, I think as the episode goes on, you get this sense of, like, internal conflict of, you know, mm. maybe, like, her even, her, what she's doing isn't, who knows even what her, what, what she is supposed to be doing, you know, like to jump ahead slightly, you know, you get the fact that there's like a detonator in the Raptor with her, um, when she's searching for water and that her, you know, hand is sort of, I guess, unconsciously sort of hovering over it. And you kind of get the idea, the, the implication to me is like, it's there as a fail safe. Like if they find water, she'll blow them up so that they can't report back. Right. Um, and, but yeah. she's and, able to, and, and at the same time, take suspicion off her. Exactly. Which, I mean, she'll be blown up at that point, but you know what I mean? Right, like, right, right. It looks yeah. like a sabotage. And so, but you get that she is able to fight back. So whether, if she has programming and instructions, apparently she can resist them, <laughs> which is sort of interesting, you know? Yeah. So it kind of does in retrospect, put all sorts of question marks about, this whole like blow up the water plan like what exactly were her orders are they just orders or are they programmed 
if so, to what extent does she have to follow the programming? Um, you know, well, and, and what is she even conscious of that she's doing? Um, and, and that's a good point because then if like that might actually resolve the timing questions too, of like maybe, maybe to this point she's been resisting that program. Like maybe, maybe there have been moments where she could have, or, you know, should in quotes, you know, have, you know, blown up the water supply or blown up, you know, the FTLs or whatever, mm -hmm. you know, may maybe it's the water supply just because that's the easiest thing she has access to. Maybe mm -hmm. the FTLs she would not have access to like the engine room or whatever. Mm -hmm. You know, I don't, I don't know where the FTL sits in the Battlestar, but you know, wherever that is, maybe mm -hmm. she doesn't have access as a Raptor pilot to that. I think area. it is in the engine room actually, but, <laughs> um, but yeah, you know, so the, the, the idea being that maybe maybe that's why it's taken so long for this mm -hmm. to happen because maybe there is some resistance there that we just haven't seen to this point. Like, right? It, like you said, like there certainly seems to be, like she seemed she definitely there's resistance to saying, "I found water," you know, mm. like right, like that. That's that. There's some. Uh, uh, for whatever her Cylon programming doesn't want her to do that because by doing that, of course, you know, right. they're sending the lives of the humans that they're all trying to kill. So, right. but she's able to overcome that for some reason or another. And mm -hmm. we don't know what that is, but maybe, maybe she has done that up to this point elsewhere. And, and I also want to point out that the fact of her being wet while strong, uh, strongly implicates is not like that would still be circumstantial right in any right. sort of court of law like there's right, right. there's no yes her being like fully wet from head to toe is very suspicious in like a a wetsuit sort of like it's not her normal like mm -hmm. flight suit right because that's what she pulls out of the bag is is right her right. her flight suit or whatever something her like uniform that. or her something uniform. Yeah, yeah yeah so like like there's this idea that like Yes, it strongly implicates, but it's still circumstantial at best. Like, right. it, it, you know, we just don't know. And she doesn't know. And that's, mm -hmm. that's, I think you're right, like, about the, the part that that gives us sympathy with her. Because there are explanations that maybe not, I, I almost said are wholly innocent. Maybe that's not quite the right way to describe it, but are at least, you know, explainable in a way that doesn't, make her a killer or attempted killer you know right 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 actually also like it makes me think of there's a connection there to the conversation which we'll talk about with with lee and and uh and adama about you know lee's insistence about questioning your actions you know and your responsibility to not just mm. obey orders and do what you think, you know, but to actually like sure. question the right thing, you know? And so here, apparently we have like a Cylon who's kind of questioning her actions and questioning her orders. And, you know, you get the idea of she's on this job to sabotage it in whatever ways, you know, that she's been told, but there's obviously a lot of resistance on her part, whether conscious or not, um, or at least conscious on one level, if not conscious on her surface boomer level um but she's yeah. some part of her is fighting you know 
and disagreeing with these impulses that she's having. Um, well, and so thinking about that too. So like, then that brings up like motivation, like what, what motivation would she have to, uh, sort of this, um, you know, to go against that programming. And I mean, to me, sort of the, the obvious thing is Tyrrell, right? Mm -hmm. Is, is, I don't know if there's love there, but there's certainly something, you know, mm -hmm. some sort of romantic or at least lustful <laughs> feelings mm -hmm. towards him. Um, but also, I mean, a trust, like I think it was beyond just lust, right? Like there's, there's a trust that the two of them share. Yeah, clearly because she pulls him in and is like, "Hey, here's what's going on." Um, mm -hmm. And actually, I find his, I find his reaction funny. So, like, yeah, she, no, it is really interesting. She she's clearly very uh, disturbed by you know the situation and sort of calls him and goes in, um, and you get the sort of the knowing look from Callie, right? Like yeah. the, the oh, yeah. here they go again. Um, yeah. and of course it's not that this time, but, um, you know, so they go in and Tyrell's like, okay, you know, whatever it is, whatever it is, we're going to take care of it. All right. Yeah. Just tell me what happened, so what's going on. So she tells him and he's like, well, what are you telling me for? You <laughs> yeah. got to go tell the master at arms right now. I, I did, there's like a complete 180 degree turnaround from yeah. we're gonna, we'll take care of it. We'll do it together. We'll, you know, whatever yeah. it is, we'll, fix it to this isn't my problem like why the yeah. hell did you bring well, this and to like, me not only that but like this idea of like whatever he thought she was gonna say it wasn't that you it know clearly like, was she, not she oh. totally overshot whatever level yeah. of like you know whatever he yeah. was expecting to hear this is like way more this is way above his pay grade and he right. doesn't want to touch it um right and no and, yeah and the fact that she outranks him too so yeah. like, right. Yeah. Right. Um, yeah. There's a lot of interesting and, you know, it, it is an interesting reaction and like, you know, not just like the dialogue of what he says, but the way, you know, the actor plays it too. Like yeah. it, 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 it's very funny, but there's some interesting stuff going on of like, um, this, the acting in the show is so good, but um, like the way he, the way he takes that pause, you know, when she kind of explains, look, I know what I'm supposed to do, but I didn't because, you know, everybody's going to think that I'm the Cylon and they're going to like, you know, jump to all these conclusions and everything. Um, the way he kind of like stops and thinks about it before kind of saying like, well, you know what? It's not your fault because you didn't know where you were. So somebody's setting you up and you're drugged and all these things. You know, that kind of, like, pregnant pause of, like, where he's trying to figure out what else could it be. Because, like, it's kind of, like, if you think about it, it's obvious <laughs> what it is. But, like, neither of them wants to admit it. Mm. Um, and there is that, there, there, for me, there's a similarity there of the, that moment with Baltar. Of, you know, his big pause before he goes, I had nothing to do with this. You know, and, right. you know, right. and Six is, like... <laughs> How do you do that with the self-deception? Like, that's amazing. Like, Tyrrell kind of does that. Like, like I feel like it's the same thing of he has a good little think about it and then thinks, all right, I don't accept this explanation. What else could it be? Yeah. Um, but 
but once he does come to that conclusion, like he's adamant about it, right? Like yes. I mean, he tells her, like, you know, we'll we'll figure it out. Someone must have set you up, you know. And then he like he's actively working to sort of uh I almost said deflect any suspicion. Like no suspicion is. is ever yeah. put on her. So I don't know that deflect right. is quite right. But you know, like he's he's working to make sure that that nobody does ever like almost in some ways harder than she is even. Yeah. Like she just yeah. sort of like complains and whines about it a bit. Um yeah. and I mean maybe whines is a little too strong, but like she sort of, you know like she doesn't really do anything proactive to like take suspicion off her or fix the situation other than sort of initially take back the one detonator and only mm -hmm. to discover there's like six others missing. <laughs> yeah. Um, she doesn't really do anything else, but he like figures out a way to like, you know, using his sort of like engineering prowess, I guess like, okay. So it's obvious that at least some of these detonators were used in, you know, the explosion of this water tank. Mm -hmm. So what's what's my first course of action? Well, it would be to uh, ask the master at arms to do a spot check on all the explosives. Oh well, of course, there we we found our problem. Yeah. Oh, there's another one still missing. Like, yeah. you know, yeah. he figures out a way to actually have it seem plausible that like you're just stumbling on this knowledge and that there, you know, whoever the saboteur is is unknown. Yeah. And yeah, and I don't mean like. You know, to him, I think he he does actually believe that Boomer yeah. is innocent. Yeah. So, like, you know, to him, the real culprit really is unknown. Like, that's not just it's not just him. It, it, he's not trying to protect a guilty party. He's trying to protect someone who he genuinely believes is innocent. Mm -hmm. um, whether whether he's deluding himself, as you sort of said, or not, is maybe a question to be asked but but mm -hmm. it it at least seems like he's if so he's at least like fully convinced himself you know yeah. like like the delusion is complete if if I, it is delusion <laughs> yeah i mean i kind of feel like at least that's the way i read it is like there's that initial response which is honest which is like like you said like what the heck are you bringing this to me for you got to report it this is crazy all this stuff and then I do think, like, after he kind of agrees with what she's saying about, well, they're going to, like, think that I'm a Cylon and that can't, you know, th that would be really bad and everything. He does seem, like, fully committed to this, you know, to this idea. And definitely, I think, like, has convinced himself of it. Um, yeah. You know, and I don't even know that, like, maybe neither of them, you don't even necessarily... Like, there's a difference between the conclusion that Boomer is a Cylon who's trying to kill us and Boomer is involved somehow. Like, maybe that's the difference. It's like, it's not even that she tells him this and, like, he would be an idiot if he doesn't think she's a Cylon. Like, that's not necessarily true. But, like, I think it should be pretty obvious that she isn't, like, she's connected somehow and yet they decide to... Yeah. Not even, you know, like, like yeah. it is a case where it's like, you want to kind of say, go turn it in, you know, be pro, like say like, you know, like, I don't know how this happened, but then you, you know, they put in, I think it was in the last episode with 
Boomer and her new partner crash down. He's repeating to her all the rumors about Cylons in the fleet. They look like us, all this stuff. So there's this sense of like the paranoia is starting to creep in. And now everybody's worst nightmare is being, you know, accused of being a Cylon. Right. And that's like the worst thing that we can, that has to be avoided at all costs, you know? And even if she doesn't know where she was or how this happened, I don't think Boomer believes that she's a Cylon, really. Sure. You know, like, that would sure. be crazy. <laughs> yeah. So, you know. Yeah. Well, whether you want to call that self-delusion or whatever, I think there is, like, a difference between what she really, what they really believe on a surface level and what maybe, you know, is, you know, what they might kind of believe somewhere deeper down. But Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, it has all the sort of hallmarks of the classic, you know, like Red Scare of the 1950s kind of thing, yeah. right? Like, you know, yeah. the communists are among us, the Cylons are among us, you know, mm-hmm. it's, you know, and, and merely pointing someone out can yeah. ruin Be their lives. Fatal, yeah. 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 Um, which would ruin your life, yes. Um, yes. So, uh, yeah. So, yeah. So, I mean, and, and so this plays out over the course of the episode, of course. Um, and we already sort of talked about how she's able to sort of overcome that programming. So, you know, I mean, like you said, like we kind of know Boomer and, and like, she's not revealed to be a Cylon until the very end of the Mm -hmm. miniseries. So like we get to know her pretty well during the miniseries Mm -hmm before we find out she's so we already are sort of like conditioned to like her Mm -hmm. and then and then i think ultimately for me anyway like this episode sort of solidifies that like Mm -hmm. okay even it's almost like even if she did um and this is why i feel like you know we we chose the the uh, comment a man takes responsibility for his actions which is something that adama says to lee right and then lee mm-hmm. sort of repeats it later but like I, you know let's open up that to all genders right and and right. you know like i feel like this is where it applies to boomer is that she does ultimately take responsibility for her actions if she's the one to have blown up the water tanks she finds new water like right. she and and not only that, but she does it after sort of overcoming, um, mm-hmm. not not just the the problem, like sort of the practical problems of being how do we of finding herself. Yet? Well, before that, like even you know finding herself dripping wet in a storage room, you know, with a stolen detonator in her mm-hmm. bag. Like like there's all the practical problems around that, but then there's also the mental i guess i is that the right word to use for a cylon like the computational uh Mm -hmm. you know aspects of overcoming her own programming you know to to be able to basically save the entire fleet from Mm -hmm. you know certain imminent uh destruction Mm -hmm. um or at least slow destruction if not entirely imminent but um and yeah, like the, you know, and, and also, you know, you brought it before the, the other detonator and, and bomb that are in her own Raptor that mm-hmm. seems like a fail safe, you know, kill switch, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, like in the end, 
her actions, like she does again, ad- acknowledging that, I mean, I still feel like you could probably make a strong case for her having been the one to do that. But, but there's also an, like, I feel like there's enough reasonable doubt that we can't convict, convict her, her yeah, you know? Yeah. Um, but if she were the one to, to blow that up, like there is, there is, there are these redeeming actions that, mm-hmm we see her. And so I feel like it sort of solidifies mm-hmm. or is meant at least to solidify sort of the viewers liking of Boomer. Yeah. And, yeah. and putting almost in a way, putting you more on her side than you were already because, mm-hmm. because she's able to overcome that stuff and, and sort of land on the side of the humans, you know, this time around. Well, and, and putting you alongside somebody who's one of these sleeper agents where you can kind of say, well, if that were me and I woke up and didn't know where I'd been or what I'd been doing and was afraid of what that might mean, how would I do any differently? You know? And so you can't, it's hard to judge her, her actions because you can just feel that sense of, well, if I was in the fleet, I wouldn't want anyone to think I was a Cylon. And Mm. if she doesn't know where she was, was she really responsible? Like, you know, we just don't know. And so I think you're, you're invited to sort of sympathize with that kind of like lost aspect of her. Mm. Um, you know, sure. although we do get that shot at the, the last shot is her kind of creepily, you know, almost mechanically sort of walking down the hallway. So you're, you're definitely reminded at the end that, you know, at least at times there are times where you, kind of have to not be quite sure, you know, who she right. is and what she can do you and know? everything. And yeah, and I I see that like that's a very ambiguous sort of shot because mm-hmm. I I feel like that could almost just be like, you know, I I don't I don't know if you like this term or not, but it could almost just be resting b- bitch face, you know, like <laughs> like like it doesn't again, it's Right. It, it's not. It's certainly not enough to implicate her. It could just be right. that's right. how she that's walks how, down how the hall. She walks. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, it may. Sure. It may sure. or may not have right. any implication on right. Right. her character or beliefs or ability to no. supersede her programming or whatever. And that's a really good point because, and I think it's something that's easy to forget once you've seen the series and you know who everyone sure. is and how it all works out that like I yeah, also have it, a terrible memory so maybe I forgot what it is I'm supposed to remember no I don't mean anything about that shot I just mean like okay yeah we're invited to sympathize with Boomer but also I think we're also in the position of the fleet where you're one of the people who's looking around suspiciously at everyone trying to figure out whether or not they're, they're a Cylon and so like not, I mean, Boomer, we know, but like we have a whole ship full of other people who at this point, we don't know one way or the other. And there are occasionally ambiguous scenes where you might be invited to speculate about one of the mm. characters or whatever. And so, yeah, it's easy to just kind of, oh, read that as like the Cylon walk because we know she's a Cylon, but like that could just be your own sort of paranoia talking. And like, you know, because you think you know something about her you're making assumptions when it could, like you said, it could just be the way she walks, you know, it's not, 
it's like you put some ominous music over it and it seems very like, <laughs> right. you know, evil and everything. But like, yeah, there's nothing, you know, convicting about it. Like you said, it's just how you want to interpret, you know, her movement and everything. Um, so, yeah. 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 I Yeah. Who knows? I mean, we we do know she's a silent. We know, but, but we do, but but again, like I don't. That doesn't. It still doesn't necessarily implicate her because, right. like you said, there's. I mean, we know there's what like two thousand people on the Battle Star, right? I think they say at one something, point something like that. I guess. I mean, I don't at, le- at least a couple thousand. Like I don't yeah, think yeah. there's less than that. Right. Um, you know, so there's there's definitely a sense that. We certainly haven't met all of those people, and mm-hmm. and who, like you said, who knows that there are, is another Cylon and what they may or may not have access to, and that sort of thing. So, all right, we should move on. Um, I want to talk about. Uh, well, let's talk about sort of the opposite, like the other Sharon uh, mm-hmm. model and Hilo, real quick. I don't have a ton for them, but sort of. As a parallel, sure. maybe to you know Boomer and uh, uh, Tyrrell. So yeah. yeah, go ahead. So we get um, so they had sort of come together at the last you know the end of the last episode, and uh, we saw that it was sort of like a setup, right? But Hilo doesn't know this, of course. So mm-hmm. now they're like trying to get back to the Galactica, and they find uh, Sharon's Raptor, but it's you know, got all these Cylons, like, basically crawling over it. And, um, you know, I, lo- I love the, I, I don't suppose we have a plan B, right? And Sharon's like, well, plans B, C, D, and E are all the same. Like, <laughs> we just need to get off the planet and get back to the ship and all of that. Um, but they can't do that. So they sort of end up spending this time out, like, in the rain, in the woods, mm-hmm. which, you know... Um, gotta love the setting in an episode called water right Mm -hmm. like you know yeah Yeah, that's true and the idea that you have the galactica you know the you know the problem being that they don't have enough of it and hilo and sharon are of course sitting in it and probably pretty miserable by it you know yeah yeah um yeah and you get soaked soaked sharons in both scenarios sure sure yeah right right um but yeah, yeah, you get them sitting there and sort of, you know, finding out, uh, you know, talking to each other. And so you get, you know, Hilo asking sort of like why she came back. And and there's that sort of coy like, oh, well, I hate to fly alone. And, mm-hmm. you know, he's like, yeah, but you disobeyed o- orders and, you know, not that I don't appreciate it, but why are you here? And I couldn't leave you behind. And then there's that, there's that very charged moment. And, mm-hmm. you know, they're going in. And and then they suddenly hear like the transmission from a colonial signal and uh, sort of get interrupted <laughs> in the moment mm-hmm. there. Um, so you know the question becomes, of course, like this seems like plausible to Hilo. Mm-hmm. So um, I mean, we know obviously that they were partners and stuff, but I don't know that you got a sense of a romantic charge in the same way between boomer and Mm -hmm. Hilo as you do here but Mm -hmm. like 
it seemed clear that like Hilo was kind of okay with it, right? Like, right, right. E- even though, you know, previously in in the you know uh, in the miniseries, he was the one sort of giving the sly like, okay, mm-hmm. you two are at it again. You know that that Callie ends up giving here, right, right. Um, so it's not like he doesn't know about her and Tyrrell, right? But yet he seems like perfectly. Like, it seemed perfectly plausible to him that, like, Sharon would come back and there might be mm-hmm. this romantic feelings right. for him. So, I, you know, I don't I don't know what to say more than that, other than just that, like, you know, I guess we don't, we still don't know, like, exactly how the Cylon brains work at this point. Um, Six sort of implies that when she dies, her brain gets uploaded and then she wakes up in another Cylon, but there we don't know like to what extent Cylons that are of the same model like share, right? You know, thoughts and ideas and information and whatever between them. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't know. It's just it's it's interesting to think of like is this just a play they came up with, or like they must have had a certain amount of knowledge, right? To mm-hmm have the right raptor Mm -hmm. uh you know to have her wearing the right uniform like Mm -hmm. all of this kind of stuff so so there's also that question of you know going back to like boomer on the Battlestar. uh have there been other moments of her like lucidity you know problems like does she maybe transmit Mm -hmm. information sort of on the sly somehow you know Mm -hmm. uh and if so like what is it that she's sort of transmitting and all of that too so i don't i don't know i feel like i'm sort of rambling um i don't know that i have a lot to say sort of conclusively about kilo and sharon but yeah yeah no that's kind of the stuff that especially now that i've seen the episode you know a couple times it's like it does raise all sorts of questions about like yeah like what what is anybody's you know, as far as the Cylons and these boomers go, what are their orders? What are their motivations? What What is the essential Sharon? You know, because mm. like you said, this could just be, you know, maybe the, the thing with Tyrrell is, is genuine, whereas this is like a planned, like, you know, trick to like get Hilo ensnared or something. But if that's the case, then, you know, does that question her relationship with Tyrrell? You know, because she has him covering up for her, you know, when she's up to sort of no good, you know, in, in both scenarios, we have like her with, you know, these, you know, men who are sort of becoming attracted and close to her and she kind of has them in the palm of her hand a little bit. Mm -hmm. Um, But it also is interesting to me how that they're, they're played differently because with, with Tyrrell, it's very much that sense of like, even though she's the ranking officer, she's very much looking up to him as, oh, please help me. You know, like, mm. I don't know what to do. I'm totally overwhelmed. I need you to take care of it. Sure. You know, and and I'm not I, I'm not making any conclusions about like that may be a perfectly genuine response. But like, that's her approach is to say, like, you know, rescue me from this awful situation. Um, whereas with 
Hilo, it's like kind of the opposite of that. It's like he's the one who needs rescuing. And sure. she comes back as like on her, you know, stallion to sort of save him from the Cylons. And she's the like take charge one of like, you know, shut up and follow your pilot and I'll lead us and figure out what we need to do and everything. Mm. So she's not at all that kind of like, you know, boomer on the Galactica seems more the kind of like damsel in distress to me. Whereas the one on, you know, the one with Hilo is much more, I think, like assertive and everything. So I don't know, like, you know, is that different approaches because Hilo and Tyrrell are two different people? Are those two aspects of the boomer personality? Um, what is the boomer personality? Is there a single boomer personality or does it depend on the individual? Um, those are sort of, I think, questions raised. I don't know that we get answers in this episode, but um, it's just sort of kind of an interesting point of comparison, I think. Yeah. All right. Um, so let's talk about Adama and Roslyn and Lee mm-hmm. a bit. Um, so we, I mean, we're going to continue having Adama and Roslyn sort of being paired off with each other because mm-hmm. they frequently take opposite sides mm-hmm. of things. Um, although, again, sort of here... It's not exactly true either, right? Because we get the sort of the the funny aspect of they both hate pomp and circumstance, but mm-hmm. they're going through with it for the other person, right? Um, you know, right. so so there's that idea of you know uh, Rosalind just thinks it's like Adama, you know, military. Oh, military needs to have their parades, so you know, let's go through with it and. Whereas Adama's like, oh, you know, I want to make her feel like a president. And part of that is, you know, having a parade or what What I know, it's not like actually a parade, yeah, yeah. but you know what I mean? Like it's, it's that ceremony of it that, you know, he thinks is what's going to make her feel, feel presidential. And it's, you know, the same thing that she thinks makes him feel like he's, you know, doing his military duty or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um and of course, it's Lee that sort of points out to her, to Rosalind, that actually Adama hates this sort of thing and would rather just not deal with it at all. Um, yeah, right. And Lee continually serving as that bridging that gap. You know, right. he's able, he's able to, you know, think like both Adama and Rosalind, and kind of have one foot in the military and one in the civilian worlds um yeah and can kind of translate them to each other right which leads of course to Rosalind asking him to be her advisor on the military she calls him a military advisor at first and he's like well that should be my father and she's like no no I I need someone to teach me about the military yeah uh you know so that I can say words like cag um right but yeah, no, like like he de- so yeah, Lee definitely is the more um I don't know, I almost said malleable, but maybe that's not quite the wrong right word. Like he's he's sort of the moderate, I guess, between the two, yeah. right? Um if you're thinking of it sort of in political like language. Um mm-hmm. 
Yeah, so, and I feel like sorry, that happens. Well, that happens a couple times in this episode where, you know, you get Lee's flashbacks and his guilt about the Olympic carrier. And again, you have Rosalind and Adama as these sort of extremes where you have Adama who's, you know, again, like head of the military under enormous pressure, lives are at stake. He has this very clear sense of doing the best you can in the moment and you can't get hung up on the what ifs and the second guesses, you know, and you know, his thing of like, you take responsibility for your actions and you accept the consequences and you live with them, but you can't spend all your time, you know, wringing your hands about your decisions once you've made them and everything. Um, Whereas that's not necessarily Rosalind's view. Like she understands that there are tough decisions that have to be made, but she's very inclined towards examining those decisions after the fact, you know, and, her thing of like learning from the past president about keeping, you know, your mistakes in your pocket. Um, right. You know, and, and using that as she's going to carry around this little burden with her wherever she goes so that she never forgets and tries not to, I guess the point being, you try not to make the same mistake twice. Um, right. You know, and that Lee having to sort of, again, be the one sort of halfway between each of those viewpoints. Um, although I think he's kind of leans more towards the Roslyn camp in that point of view, but, um, you know, he tries to sort of quote Adama's words about it, but you also get the sense that like Roslyn, he's very much prone towards, you know, agonizing about his decisions and everything. Sure. Sure. And I mean, there's also the aspect of, you know, the uh, animosity between him and his father, too. So maybe maybe it's less towards Roslyn and more away from his father, you know, sure. that he leans in that yeah. <laughs> in, in certain instances, um, perhaps. Mm-hmm. Um, although, you know, then, of course, you get the sort of humorous... Uh, uh, similarities between Roslyn and Adama, sort of their apparent liking for somewhat trashy or, mm-hmm. you know, popular like crime novels or whatever. Like, mm-hmm. uh, you know, she, she wants to, um, you know, uh, borrow what, murder on Pycon. Right. And <laughs> right. I have a weakness for mystery. And, right. and he sort of, and then like, he immediately asks like, Oh, well, have you read such and such? Which we don't know what that book is, but like you get the sense that like the only reason he's bringing it up is because it's like of the same genre and it's like mm-hmm. apparently a classic, right? She, mm-hmm. you know, uh, Rosalind says that she doesn't, she never had a chance to read that. It's like one of those classics you never read. Right. And, right. and so, uh, um, you know, he, he gives it to her, not loans it, never loan a book, mm. um, which I disagree with. I want anyone who ever has any of my books to give them back to me, always. Um, Especially when Earth has been, or Caprica has been destroyed and there are no more books. So you want right, to cling right. to the ones that you, right. speaking, that you have left. Speaking of which, I will one day return your book. Um, but <laughs> uh, yeah, no, it, you know, so it is kind of funny that like they both seem to have this, uh, this weakness for mystery or, or, you know, these sort of genre fiction. Um, right, right. 
you oh, know, and stories. you know, the, the last thing quickly with them again, another point where they kind of seem to be on the opposites, but find a kind of balance is, um, you know, this question of if there are riots, whose job is it to sort yeah. of, you know, and, and, you know, I think one of the, you know, most iconic quotes of the series is Adama's about, you know, if the, if, if the military, you know, the, his thing about, you know, there's a reason one, we one separate fights, military. And the yeah. Players. One yeah. fights the enemy of the state. The other protects the people. When the military does both, then the enemies of the state tend to become the people. Right. So, you know, this, for him, this being very important that there be a strict line, of course, well, they're dealing with not normal circumstances. So you get Rosalind right. sort of right. convincing him to help, but also trying to let him know that she understands what he's saying. And at least in her intention, right. she won't let the, the people become her enemy, you know, yeah. and use him as her own personal, like, sure. hit, hit service and everything. Yeah, right. This isn't, well, and it's, so I, I like the way, um, that even even so far, but you know, continuing throughout the series, that that the two of them sort of play that line because I feel like that's not the typical military response, right? <laughs> Is to say, no, we don't want this additional power. Like, right, like right. when you think of like history and and whatever, it's usually like military is like, oh yeah, we're moving in. Like, yeah. it's our right. job. We'll we'll take care of it. Right. Um, but you know, Adama has more of like the more of like almost like the elder statesman, mm -hmm. you know, ideal of mm -hmm. uh, you know, this is he he's a lot more philosophical and and maybe a little idealistic about it. Mm -hmm. Um whereas Roslin's totally like, dude, we got a riot breaking out. Like, yeah. I understand what you're saying, but can we for this once just send some soldiers over to like help quell it? And we'll be, we'll we'll set up a police force for the next time. Like yeah. you know, a riot yeah. breaks out. Which um, is a it's a nice inversion of the expectation. Like right. you said like him him the head of the military who's this idealist philosopher, whereas she's the 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 school teacher become president who is actually very practical. You right. know, and and just and, sort of and and it and a tad authoritarian in this moment. <laughs> like, yeah, I mean, and, yeah. and not that, you know, and I don't mean to dismiss it as like, like it's a good reason to be like this, you know, if, if there's a time to declare martial law, it's when there's rioting happening. Right. right like, right. you know, it's not, it's not for nothing that she's making this request, but at the same time, there's, there is that sense of like, yes, we need force and we need it now. Like, mm -hmm. you know, um, but I like that throughout the series, like it doesn't, it's not static either. Like they, they both mm -hmm. sort of play that line and, and maybe cross over it here and there and, you know, from one side to the other and, and, yes. you know, flip positions at times and stuff. Not, not just on this issue, but like on, on various issues. And I, I like, you know, it, it gives a movement to the mm -hmm. story that, you know, that I feel like is real. Like you have, people change their minds all the time. And sometimes those people are politicians and, you know, like, yeah, you know, that feels real. And, and, you know, yeah. sometimes that happens when, uh, you just need to get something practical done. And then maybe later you go back to your idealistic, mm -hmm. I, you know, uh, uh, thoughts again, but, um, 
yeah, no, I, I feel like that's, uh, you know, they, they play that well. They're maybe not, you know, they're, they're on opposite sides of the fence, but they're sort of close enough that they can still reach across and shake hands. Right. Mm -hmm. Like, mm -hmm. you know, it's, it's not that they're so far different in this point, but, but maybe somewhere down the line, they'll sort of swap sides of the fence and, uh, you know, have, have slightly different ideas <laughs> that they then have to resolve again. So, yeah. Um, sort of tied in with the them, haha, is Colonel Ty, um, <laughs> which you know I don't have a ton to say about him, but I I find it interesting that you sort of get his uh, you know his lip that he gives um, yeah to Roslyn. Um, well, well, and it even starts like even before that, like you you know he's. He's very cynical, right? He's like, oh, there's going to be riots on the ship. Civilians don't like hearing they can't take a bath. And Rosalind gives him sort of the, you know, curt, but, you know, okay. uh, uh -huh. sort of reminder of, <laughs> yeah. you know, thank you for the warning, Colonel. Like, yeah, I'm not really thanking you. Yeah. Um, and then later he gets, like, like directly short with her when, um, like, she asks Gaeta to sort of guess as to the cause of the explosions and Mm -hmm. Um, and then she asked Ty to, um, you know, think, you know, what it is, is it like how much to guess, like how much water the, or no, how, yeah. Where, what are the odds of finding water, like within right, the vicinity right. or whatever? And, and he's like, well, now you want me to guess, I take it. And, <laughs> and you know, and that, and then <laughs> sort of gets chastised by Adama and, and he has to kind of like, yeah, give sort of a BS apology, you know. Uh, right, right. You know, whatever. But, right. um, you know, it's interesting because, like, Ty's the one who's supposedly, like, all about chain of command. Well, you know, I mean, we don't know directly what what their setup is, but, but assuming it's maybe something similar to what we have in the U.S., like, it would mm -hmm. be the president who's actually at the top of that chain. Like, mm -hmm. you know, president does theoretically outrank uh well not theoretically right. in, in the u.s but you know does outrank you know the the people you know the commander-in-chief and all of that yeah. um now maybe there's a bit difference and they've already sort of come to an agreement that you know adama's in charge of like military decisions and stuff but at the same time it's like ty is very uh sort of loose with that chain of command thing like he it's basically adama and that's it, right? right like, right, right. you know, was, was sort of your point earlier. And so, uh, before we started recording. And so, uh, you know, there's that idea of, yeah, like, he, he's all about chain of command when it's just, like, his best friend who's above him. <laughs> when it's... Who he when it's, respects anyway, you know? Right, like, right. You kind of get the idea of, yeah, Ty's all about the chain of command when he actually respects you. If, like, he doesn't, then, you know, that might become a little bit more difficult sure um yeah yeah um it also amused me on rewatch to have him sort of predicting about the riots due to rationing when you see him rationing out his liquor at the beginning of the episode you know that he sure. has like five fingers left and you know right, right so this sense of he understands the 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 pain of That's knowing that i only true. have 
true austerity is when you only have five <laughs> fingers of right, right. scotch left or whatever it is. But like just it. this idea of like whether it's liquor or water or, you know, Baltar goes through all the how much food they're going to need, like this sense of we have extremely limited resources and, you know, um, it's it could be dangerous if we were to sort of go through it too quickly or whatever. Yeah. Um, well, and and I mean, it turns out his prediction is right. Right. I mean, like, he, it's not right. that he's wrong. It's right. more of the attitude with which he, you know, right. sort of gives his ideas that yeah. uh, needs needs correcting a bit. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, like, I, you know, and. You know, there is he definitely has that attitude of, <clears throat> you know, civilians are just undisciplined, you know, babies, basically. And, you know. Yeah. Maybe that's true to a, to an extent, but at the same time, it's like, you know, it, it's that it's that common misunderstanding. Like he's he's more of the typical, yeah, or at least stereotypical, you know, mm-hmm. uh, military idea of, you know, if it were just if it weren't for civilians, like we would have a much better world. And uh, except the fact is that like. Well, that's why you have a military to protect the civilians. Like that's right. that's right. the whole point of the military to begin with. So um, he right. he, well, he doesn't the, sort of see that. <laughs> and we and if we and if we keep with the kind of water and liquor, you know, synergy of like these are limited resources that have to be rationed. There's nobody more undisciplined than Ty. You know that he's the one like who indulges in stuff and and you know. So yeah, there's a a fair about amount of hypocrisy in his sort of attitudes about things, yeah. um, you know. But also an understanding of like, I know there will be riots because <laughs> that's right. human nature. So yeah, um, yeah, no, and and he does seem to be good at reading human nature. Like you know, you know, right. it, it's easy to sort of become cynical about Ty because he's cynical about so many things. Right. But like he is actually good at his job and he's as far as like predicting things, I, I don't want to say that like he's right, maybe philosophically, but mm-hmm. but he when it comes to like the practical stuff, he right. he knows his shit. So right, right, right. <laughs> it's almost like you you need the resident cynic in some of these situations, especially if your philosopher, you know, is the is the commander, you know. Maybe sure. that's why they're a team is one is the idealist and the other is the kind of pessimist. Yeah. Um, something those, like that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, um, okay. Did we also want to, there's only like very quick little things, but for Billy and D, um, you know, who continue <laughs> to be the little mini Adama and Roslyn having like awkward interactions with each other. But, yeah. Um, I, I mean, Billy's just funny. Like he, he yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, I don't know anything about women. Yeah, you don't. Yeah. That seems pretty obvious. You know, I like your hair. He tells yes. the, um, yeah. tells Rosalind she looks all right. You True know, poetry. Yeah. <laughs> um. Yeah, and everything with D so far, like there is a kind of flirtation between them. There's definitely like some sort of attraction and connection, but it's not the kind of like charged sexual tension that you get between like, you know you know, Hilo and, and Sharon or whatever. It's like, he says something kind of like goofy trying to be complimentary and she kind of 
laughs and giggles about it. Like that seems to be the, like she's as, you know, she's not completely unflattered by it, but, but also kind of amused, you know, there's something kind of funny about the whole thing. Um, yeah. Yeah. Absurd. Yeah. 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 Definitely. Yeah. So, okay. Um, all right. So we should talk about uh, Baltar, I guess. Um, I don't, I, so there's two main things I want to talk about with him. One is that um, we get the reminder that he's supposed to be screening Cylons. Uh, and he gets, to he, be. He, he gets that reminder too. Um, yeah, and I and love, his, his blank look when she asks him yeah, about it. Yeah. Like it's I, been three days, really. Well, and then he, right, there's that. And then he goes into like his mind palace for a minute. And yeah. then like he gets called back out of it. Um, and then he goes into this like whole like extemporaneous BS of, you yeah. know, well, there's problems with this and that and I need this and that and blah, blah, blah. And Adama just right. interrupts him. And you think, or at least I think when yeah. I watch it, like Adama's going to be like, you're such a lying asshole or whatever. But he's like, no, no, it's obvious that you're so overwhelmed with work <laughs> that you need help. Yeah. <laughs> it's like. You know, as perceptive as Adama is in other things, it's like this is the one area where he just has no like you throw in a fourteen syllable word or you know however many no. syllables yeah. tetrahydrocyclone or whatever it is, and he's like I'm out. He's like <laughs> you're like yeah yeah I don't know anything about it, so I'm gonna let you talk to Lieutenant Gaeta, um, right? And it's yeah he sorry. understands big words like that, so like right. yeah, and you definitely get that. Well, and I um, so wait 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 so quick on Gaeta real quick because. Because you mentioned that, like, and he talks about how he has, uh, like, he had originally studied genetics in college and was going to mm -hmm. go through um, his graduate degree and stuff, but I apparently never did. Like, so. Or he had I, a plan to, and it just hasn't happened yet. Like, I could see that being like, yeah, next like, year, we're going to do this. And right, like, the world at, ended. <laughs> like, at, like, maybe that was what he was going to do after. Right, the after the decommissioning. Uh, yeah. Decommissioned or whatever. So, um, yeah, so you get, the, like, I guess, I mean, I would, I guess Adama probably knew that that was the case, right? Like, you don't get sort of the clear confirmation right. of that, but it seems like that's why Adama would assign him is because he knows that right. there's some sort of science, like, maybe he didn't know genetics specifically, but he knows that maybe Gita right. has some kind of science. Like lab experience or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, whatever. So, yeah. yeah. No, and I want to point that out because, yeah. <laughs> Again, like with Boomer, it's like it's hard to separate what you know about Baltar versus what everybody knows about Baltar. And it's easy to sort of see him as so obviously like, you know, ridiculous that like it can kind of. But I like that there's like a spectrum of people's reactions to him because um, you do get that like with with Adama. You know, Baltar's plan of as long as I keep the techno babble going they won't understand what I'm doing and I won't really like have to do anything. Um, you get like with Adama, that seems to be working. Like, right. you know, these big words, you know, you're, you're talking on a level that I don't understand. So I'm going to give you help, you know, with Roslyn, you know, there's a bit more of the sense of maybe if she doesn't totally disbelieve that, that lie, there's at least more of like skepticism about him, like personally, um, 
you know, like, I think it was in 33, there's the moment where she's like, yeah, he's kind of weird. Like, she's noticed that he's, like, a bizarre kind of person. Yeah. But maybe she writes it off as, like, one of these, like, you know, eccentric geniuses or something. Um, And then in here, you kind of get that skepticism of, like, you know, I asked you to do this. You haven't been doing it, you know, and she's kind of like, you know, so I like that, like, you know, there's some sense of at least Rosalind is starting to maybe on a personal level, not be quite so impressed with him. Sure. Um, yeah. And on the subject well, of. And it probably didn't help that he didn't remember meeting her. Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, no, that definitely uh, put them on the wrong foot to begin with. Um, yeah, no. And it's an interesting, I want to you know, we should probably wrap up soon, but I want to, you know, talk about uh, the fact that Gaeta gets assigned to him for a minute or two, because this idea of, you know, at first kind of Baltar being, that's a good idea, and then immediately regretting it, because now there's somebody who might actually understand what he's doing, sort of hanging or around. Or not doing. Or what he's not doing. Yeah, right. exactly. And um, and I love, <laughs> it's kind of painful to watch, but I love, uh, the sincerity of Gaeta's like, oh my gosh, this is like, you're my hero. I can't He's kind of like a fanboy moment. Oh my yeah, gosh, like... he's such a fanboy. And like, he's, it's like, Baltar's a celebrity, right? Maybe he's even like, knows who he is and has been dreaming of the opportunity right. to work with him. And Baltar's immediate not just like the fact that he's just annoyed because this is not the kind of attention that he wants, but also that sense of like, I've got to get him off the trail so that he doesn't, right. he's not looking over my shoulder all the time, you know? So like giving him all these veiled hints to like, all right, I'm going to play cards and you can, you know, get out of here. Um, right. And yeah. Uh, so. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, um, so the other so the other thing with Baltar is of course the card game then, right? Which is how he brushes off Gaeta. Um Yeah. And uh turns out he's apparently a pretty decent card player. Mm -hmm. Um you know, it it seems like he's maybe not you know, played a little more than uh than maybe he lets on at the beginning. Mm -hmm. Like Yeah. It, it yeah, doesn't he's seem like really to be in like his element here. It, yeah. there, there's definitely experience there. It's not just that like he's good at math and sort of a natural savant at cards, right? Like it, he seems he has the theater of it too, right? He's mm -hmm. he kind of is able to do the whole calling Starbuck out and and sort of staying calm in the moment and uh, you know sh revealing his cards that be you know what seems to be a pretty good hand on Starbuck's part and that kind yeah. of yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I don't even know the name of the game that they're playing, but, you know, like three on a run seems like that's a decent hand. Right. Right. <laughs> Just right. sounds sounds like it would be a good hand. Or like a flush or something. Yeah. You know, like it's a good. It, yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. Or um, but um, but yeah, like the you know, but of course he pulls out full colors, which everyone sort of gasps. And it's like, oh, <laughs> yeah. congratulations. You know, yeah. um, so. You know, but of course, more beyond that, then of course, is is the uh, sort of symbolic giving her of the cigarello there, and the, mm -hmm. you know, tension between them and whatever. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, um, yeah, and you get. I think we've become used to like the really 
frazzled side of Baltar. So seeing him again, more like the smooth front that he can put on for other people who can't see inside his mind palace and everything. Like, you know, he comes across as this very like suave card player, you know, and his, you know, his, his dangerous living of like, well, without a little risk, life would be so dull. You get this, this is like, you know, his philosophy is this sort of like, you know, live dangerously and, you know, um, yeah. And you definitely get the competitiveness between him and Starbuck, like definitely they, they, they both want to win this game, but that, that translates very easily into like, you know, uh, you know, tension in other areas, you know, because <laughs> now it's like, you know, you kind of get the idea of like, everything they do is sort of competitive. So there's something like, you know, yeah. and like, you know, we've seen Baltar with his number six, like this is the kind of um, dominant strong woman that, you know, attracts Baltar, I think, you know, is sure. one who kind of, you know, uh, is, I don't know, um, not just kind of like rolling over for him that, you know, she'll stand up to him and everything. So, yeah. Okay. So we've gone a bit over. A little bit. <laughs> well, that's all right. So we'll be back next week, though, to talk about uh, the first non Ron Moore episode of PSG. Yeah. And uh, the finale of Angel season two. So. All right, see you then.